Hey, everybody. All right, we're going to do an intro. Okay. Ready? <laughs> ready? 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 This, this is a production of Dirty Mo Media. Hey, everybody. It's Dale Jr. back again for another episode of the Dale Jr. Download. My guest today is none other than Brad Keselowski. Co-host Mike Davis is here. Matthew Dillner. Leah Marie Vaughn. <laughs> we got a great show. We had a lot of fun this weekend at Darlington. We're going to talk about it. Let's get started. I had a lot of fun. I appreciate all these fans coming out here to Darlington. Man. They love this place. They love you. Let's set this grind. Cover up all I own. Grinding to the late night. That's the only thing I know. Been through the fire. Now I want all the smoke. My dogs, they with me. I'll never be on my own. I'll never be on my own. Uh, shout out to my dad. Also, shout out to. Uh, just thanks for everybody's support and uh, hope they enjoyed the race. It was a fun one. That's pretty good, Matthew. Good job on that. Um, you were working that crowd, boy. I was not working the you crowd. You were. <laughs> hey, shout out to my dad. Well, grown man crying in the stands at that point. They had him. He hooked him. <laughs> I was just saying what was on my mind, Mike. I, I got you. Um, <laughs> they went nuts. <laughs> they did go Yeah, nuts. that was great. That Yeah, you get intro, you get intro at races. People cheer for you and so forth. But that was definitely the best uh, experience for me when, when it comes to uh, crowd reaction uh, throughout pretty much my whole career. Yeah, yeah. For me, that moment was uh, very special and emotional. Um, I had no idea everybody enjoyed the day that all that is that as much as I did. I guess is that right? Yeah, you know, you don't know. Fifth place is not not you know fifth. Well, we're sixth at the moment. In the sixth moment, at the moment. In the right. moment, we're all cheering a sixth place finish. Right. The most celebrated sixth place finish in the history of the sport, <laughs> I believe. And um, in the Xfinity series, for sure, for sure. <laughs> but the the stands were packed. First of all, the crowd up yeah. for that, that Saturday race was incredible, awesome, and they were loud the whole time during yeah. the race. Oh yeah, yeah, man! It was it was the atmosphere was so cool just on Saturday. It was so neat. And then when you got out, I wasn't trying to say that you were intentionally working the I crowd. Know. I know exactly what uh, you know. You were I'm feeling sensitive. so good. You were feeling so good about that because, and I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, you were nervous going into the race. <laughs> yeah. I think I said that a million times. A million times, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you thought you were going to suck. Well, I didn't think I was going to suck. I was just prepared mentally <laughs> for any kind of you know result. God, man, you cannot run. You can't get yourself all psyched up for this. Just one, You're, you're going to run one race, Mike. Mm-hmm. All right? Mm-hmm. Um, imagine doing just one podcast a year. Right. Instead of and, – and someone, you know, there's, there's 50 podcasts or how, how many do we do? Yeah, we do enough, but we take right. one week off, and it's it's like we never done one. But before. you're going to get to do one, right? right? And so, do you go in there going, "Man, we're gonna I'm gonna kick this. This podcast is gonna butt. be award winner. Oh, yeah. This is gonna this win is them. Gonna, this is gonna win them podcast I'm awards. I'm about to do the best. <laughs> I'm gonna do the best podcast. You know, I don't have that. Some people do that. Some 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 uh, competitors, athletes have that mindset where they are going to go in and kill it. They psych themselves out. Yeah. Well, or up. Or you think they believe? No, no. That's what I mean. Yeah. They they build themselves up. Yeah. And it works sometimes. Yeah. You know, it's whatever works for everybody. My wife, I talk about this all the time. So my wife believes in the law of attraction. So she believes that something's good's going to happen leading into the event. Right. 
you know, she thinks you bring that positivity on yourself and you get a great result. If you bring negativity into your mind and your thoughts, that you're going to have a bad result. Um, so she believes the opposite that I believe, whereas I aim low. I go in with low expectations so that if it doesn't go well, if it doesn't meet my, you know, my hopes, um, then I'm, you know, hey, all right, I can deal with You're it. You're not as let down no, on the back I'm not my, yeah, my, yeah. So going into that deal, I haven't raced all year. I picked a very tough race track. Denny Hamlin even said it. He don't think he would have picked that track if he was in my situation. He wasn't the only one that said that. Really? Because I didn't read that article. It's from The Athletic, right? Right. I didn't have the subscription, so I only got like the first paragraph. <laughs> you can only read the, <laughs> yeah, the teaser. So, so you, can let, you can let me know what the rest of it said. But um, so <laughs> Baller on a budget. Well, <laughs> that's like the but, first but like, Steve, athletic cl- article I've ever clicked Steve, on. Steve, Steve Latart, uh, Jeff Gluck would love to hear that. St- uh, <laughs> Sorry, Jeff. <laughs> uh, the, uh, Steve Latart had said, I mean, a lot of people had said, Darlington, really? That, that's the first one. But, hey, this throwback weekend, I mean, it all lined up for you to be able to run that paint scheme. But, yeah, you know, Thursday night you and I were doing that little foundation event, and we were doing a Q&A <laughs> with the fans. And I said, okay, who has uh, never ridden in a car? You know, we had about 10 or 12 people that raised their hand. And you were not even – I don't. I want to say you, you weren't confident even then, but you were clearly like, I don't – I don't know exactly what this is, car is going to do when we go out there, y'all. I mean, it, it may, you know, it may get a little. You you made it seem like it was a little precarious. Am I wrong? Did I read that wrong? Of course. Yeah. So these people were like raising their hand, and they were like, "Oh, what uh-oh. is what is what does the general what does the general public think about?" I get, I just really am kind of surprised by that. That the I'm taking that the general public thinks that. You're going to hop in that car, and that car is going to perform perfectly. The general public doesn't know how hard it is. Yeah. And I am one, by the way. Yep. I mean, unless we've ever driven a car, but this you, is don't, a, you just don't know. I know. This is a track that's just fickle as hell. Right. All right? And I'm getting in a two-seater car to take people around for laps. Right. And the first guy getting in is going to weigh 125 pounds. The next guy that climbs in the car is 225 pounds. So, you I mean, you're oh, strapping like 100 car. pounds of weight. You're not only putting that much weight on the right side of the car, which we would never do in a race car, right. but you're varying the weight from passenger to passenger, and that's going to affect the way the car drives. And so I've never driven this car. Don't know what they've got under the car for a setup. Don't know what tires I've got on the car. Don't know if these are the tires that now Goodyear recommends for this particular racetrack. I have no clue. I know. I don't know what the nose weight is, the cross weight. I don't know where the track bar is. <laughs> I don't know what springs are in the car, shocks are on the car. I don't know whether it meets minimum rules on weight, whether it's 3,400 pounds, 2,800 pounds. I have no idea how much power the motor has, whether it's an Xfinity motor, whether it's a crate motor, whether it's a drag motor. I don't know Some what. Have a, a drag motor. All right. I have no idea what this car is going to do. No clue. These ride-arounds sounded like a good idea at the time. Maybe it Maybe we should find other ways to raise funds. <laughs> it's not a dangerous thing. All I'm saying is really? that, no, it's not. I'm not going to go out there and drive it over the limit. I'm going to go out there and work, you know, learn, just like they're going to learn about what it's like to go around the track. I'm going to learn this new race car that we, I've never driven. When you came back around for the first time, yeah. we literally cheered. <laughs> we, we were so happy. I mean, I'm talking about in the ride around. Saturday was another whole thing, but when you came back and completed the first lap, we're like, he kept it off the wall. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, I was not worried about it. It seemed like I should have been even more happy considering I all wasn't the things worried, you just said. I wasn't worried about um, 
I don't know that I was concerned about hitting anything. I was just worried about giving that person the genuine right. experience. And so we borrowed this car from Hendrick Motorsports, mm-hmm. and it is a very competitive car, very comfortable car. It it was awesome. Anyways, we're talking about this ride around. I, I know, I know. But I, yeah, yeah, there's some so, such a better part of the weekend well, we should be talking about well, on the well, ride around. Well, yeah, all right. We, we got <laughs> but anyways, but, yeah. But I, I got to ask you, how did the when you drove the actual race car on Saturday? Okay, how different did it drive? How did it meet your expectations? Let's actually go back to Friday when you were in practice. Yeah. First lap on the track. Oh man, I was glad. Really? Yeah. Car was awesome. Wow. Very comfortable. Is that crew chief? Well. <laughs> I will. I have to say that I went there and ran a couple laps in a test a couple months ago, and that wasn't comfortable. The car didn't drive good. The car was out of control. My, I was white knuckling it. My heart rate was through the roof. Everything was bad, right? Mm. And so I've got a lot of gray hairs wor- worrying about whether, you know, from that moment on, there were a couple months for the race weekend, and so I worried every single day about, man, is that how it's going to be? We're going to have to go back there and run, you know run that Xfinity race and this way it's going to drive. I was very nervous. Yeah. So I got a lot of gray hairs over that. But when I hit the track for the first practice, the car was really good. And I was I was very comfortable. The back was hooked up. The front was hooked up. And so, man, I had a huge smile on my face. And then it went from more, no, more, no longer really worrying about how comfortable the car was because it checked all the boxes. But then it got to my mind went to just thinking, man, I'm going to just enjoy running each of these laps. Yeah. And then Taylor would, you know, I'd either quit or he'd call me in and we'd come in and talk about making an adjustment. And, uh, we changed a few things in the, those two practices, but no, uh, usually, you know, when you're, when you come to the racetrack, there, there's not a lot of, uh, confidence that you're going to make an, a, a change at the track. That's going to really change and improve your car. That happens, but it's rare. Uh, and it's gotten more and more rare as the preparation and, and so forth leading into the races has gotten so much better. They're basically able to, able to send these cars into into a pretty awesome setup uh, in the shop and throughout the week. So when the car gets there, about as good as it's going to get. Mm-hmm. And so when you unload a car, it's not comfortable. It's a bit concerning more so these days than it was years ago because it's hard to make them any better at the racetrack anymore. But we had fun. We practiced. Race was fun. Everything went well, man. I, I I was even a little surprised by how well we moved up as the race started because I screwed up in qualifying big time. You said that. I, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. But What'd you do? Going into turn one, I, the car got loose, and, and you know I was just trying real hard not to pull a backup car out right. all weekend. I didn't want to do anything that was going to be hard on the team or embarrassing or, you know, we're, I don't want to come in there and, and – Step on my toes too bad, but so I was probably a little gun shy would be the way I would describe it going into qualifying, and un, you know just we probably should have qualified eighth, mm. right around there, but anyways, fourteenth um, wasn't awful. Uh, I just knew that man, it's going to be hard to pass, and I need to be aggressive. I was thinking all night long, like leading my, leading up to the race, like man, I need to be aggressive on the restarts. I need to try to take every opportunity I can to. <laughs> To get these guys, and I'm not gonna. I don't need to wait uh, on a restart and think I'm gonna drive through them over the duration of a run because at, at Darlington the cars can tend to get spread out. You battle a guy for a position, and the guy in front of you is drove away by half a straightaway, and then it's take you forever to catch that guy. So I knew on the restarts I had to be real aggressive, and and man, we got a we got a good handful of them right away. Yeah, and uh, I was like, oh, that was cool. I didn't expect that. So. 
uh, made, made the rest of the afternoon easy. We sat there and run around seventh place all day long. I thought we had a top three car on the uh, long run, around 40, lap 40 to 50. We were very, very fast. Just didn't have the fire off speed. At the first 10 or 15 or 20 laps of a run, the car was super, super tight, and I was really on defense trying to keep the guys from passing me on restarts for the first handful of laps. And, you know, the top five would get out about a half a straightaway to a straightaway in front of me. And then after 20 laps, we either held them there or maybe even gained on some of those guys from third to sixth. And uh, then at the end of the day, you know, uh, a couple guys had some problems. The seven got in the fence a lot. That was a spot that we gained. You know, ended up sixth crossing the line. We were better than, better than the 20 car on long runs and could get by him uh, into the top five late in the race. But uh, then we got another late caution. That was not good for me because of our short run speed not being all that awesome. And he was able to beat us on that last restart. But um, then they threw him out and that put us into the top five uh as far as finishing so i was thrilled i mean listen i know that you're you're too humble to uh give yourself too many props so i'll do it for you you've had two retirement races and you finished in the top five in both of them richmond and darlington richmond you know that was a track that was one of your favorites darlington though again I, i think it it can't be overstated how difficult that would be just to go in there and not have raced all year, and you still finish in the top five. So, man, I tell you what, I mean, as, as happy as you are, and it's one of the happiest I've seen you, I think, ever after a yeah. race. You were so excited, um, and uh, I was happy for you because I thought it was a job well done. Thank you, man. Really, for sure. Yeah. Do you want to talk about the project you guys are putting together for that? I'll, I'll, let's save that to the end. Okay. We're going to save that to the end. To the end of yeah, what? Your white flag? Yeah. Okay. But, well, by the way, I did it, uh, have to say one of my most enjoyable moments was watching your battle with Christopher there where you guys fun. swapped. Because I was actually watching it going, I know he's having fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I went up to Christopher at the end of the race and was like, you know, I, I was like, man, I had a good time. And he didn't have that same experience. <laughs> <laughs> he was not happy. You know, he was more thinking, man, we didn't do what I thought we should have done. He, 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 in his mind... Uh, feels like he needs to be running up front, leading ra- leading laps, winning races, and I get it. Um, he'll he'll hopefully maybe look back either a couple days later or years down the road and think, man, that was pretty fun. But yeah, I had a blast racing Brandon Jones, and and um, you know, me and him had some pretty good little battles there, and a couple other guys out there, a lot of fun. I, I was curious because you mentioned one time during the race about how you were watching Christopher Bell burn his yeah. tires up. Well, go you ahead. Know, so we were running and he slid the right he slid the back tires off of turn four and I knew like that right when you do that it's cost you some time like your car is going to be a little slower you don't recover from that at Darlington and uh, he was I wasn't catching him and he slid them rear tires big time and then then he came to me mm. I was like yeah burn them up <laughs> so did you ever hit the wall at I all? rubbed it yeah when we passed Jones when we passed Brandon Jones I was in the fence and I think when I passed the twenty I was in the fence. <laughs> Because uh, there's a little knot in the wall just before the center of turn three. Uh, you roll up into there, you roll up into the corner and get right against the wall, and the wall kind of has a knot in it right there, and you would it go boop. <laughs> and uh, but it but then the wall goes back away from you. That little knot sticks out there, and it it clipped that little bump on the wall. Did it give you a feeling of nostalgia? Like I remember you. I remember you from all those <laughs> yeah. years. That's yeah. that wall. It. You know what it was is a. Uh, when you drive the cars week after week after week, you get a very under you get a great understanding of where all the corners are. I can almost you know it's almost like the car becomes part of your body 
Um, like I know, you know, I know exactly where the right front corner is and I could drive that right front corner kind of like where you know where the tires on your car are when you're parking and mm-hmm. you know right. when okay. you're about to hit the curb. Sure. Like you know, yeah. man, you're I'm inches it. from the curb. And you'll get out and look and you're inches from the curb. You know it because you drove that car time and time again 100%. into a curb, right? Into a parking spot. Well, I, I, when you race every single week, you get a real, real understanding of exactly where the corners of the car uh, are. And so, not having drove, when I hit the wall, I was very, I was like, oh, I thought I didn't think I was close. Mm. So that was one. I was a little nervous about oh, that. Wow. So I was, uh, we was running around real close to the wall in turns two. And man, we're running so fast there that if you clip the right rear, it's going to put you in the fence, like a suck you into the wall and put the right front in the fence. And so it made me a little apprehensive, I think, because I hit the wall in three, and I was like, man, I thought they had another six inches, you know. So the right rear was way out there, further than I thought. That was the that, that was what went through my head when I bumped the fence. But uh, yeah, man, it was great. We ran the high line into one and off two. That was fun. It's very treacherous, pretty pretty white knuckled uh, experience, but fun to be able to do that. I got everything I wanted out of that whole race and being able to drive the car and enjoy it and battle some guys Damn. and have some fun catching and passing people and doing stuff like so that. That's what it's all about. Right that's there. right. Checked all the boxes, man. That's all you can hope for. Then you had to go back to your normal job. Right, yeah. <laughs> Which, right. that was great. You know, I didn't have any NBC responsibilities or work to do throughout the weekend. They let me out of everything, all the practices, which isn't pref- pre- preferable because you'd like to get experience and you got get to know the paint schemes get to because it's throwback weekend everybody's got a different paint scheme it's good to be able to do some practice uh, broadcasts and qualifying broadcasts just to familiarize yourself with some of the stories um so really jumping into the booth on sunday without having any experience uh all weekend was a little nerve-wracking i I felt like i had been out of the booth for months and so we did the opening of the show i was extremely nervous probably sucked and then as we got to broadcasting the race, though, I mean, picked it, it came back, and I was so excited. It was a great race. The first two segments were awesome. The second segment was amazing. I wanted to ask you about the, that. The action on the track was great. Oh, you guys had some stuff to call. I mean, right. that made it easy, right? It did. It made it a lot of fun. Kyle and DJ had a blast, and I had a blast, too, because in that situation, in, sta- in stage two, Marv, the producer, allowed me to be able to bring us in and out and send us to commercial, and it was I wasn't great at it, and I'm not great at it is uh you know rick allen's that's where like people give rick allen a hard time sometimes um but i'm you know he they give us all a hard time i mean there's people that don't like my my style there's people that don't like latart but um people i think people just don't know how good rick allen really is i agree and in those moments uh when you have to do his job you're reminded like why he's in that booth and why it's so important that he's in that booth um he brings so much structure to the show, and so being at—I well, say that because being in that being in that seat for for that stage two uh, really really brings it home as far as you know, kind of what Rick's doing for us in there. So, so, so I mean, they put you in there with Kyle Petty and Dale Jarrett for the second segment. Now, yeah. Kyle obviously Kyle Petty and Dale Jarrett aren't typically in that booth, and they're certainly not who you're calling races yeah. with. Was that difficult too to switch? partners in the middle of a race from a chemistry standpoint or did the racing on the track just take over no no no. i mean you're just hanging out talking with your buddies that's all you're doing yeah yeah so So, no problem so in stage one and three or any other race i'm just hanging out you know slapping their shoulder and and hey check this out or what do you think about this or 
That's um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're just hanging out, talking about the race. And then, you know, when Kyle and DJ come in there, it's even more relaxed, you know, because it's a one-time thing. Yeah. And they, they're – Kyle and DJ aren't there to – they ain't, they're not. They're they're rolling with it. They yeah, don't. Yeah, they're not there to impress anybody. Right. They really aren't. They're, right. They're just like you know what? Done this a mean times. Whatever. So uh, it's pretty fun. And man, they treat me so well. You know, Kyle and DJ, and obviously the the regular guys in the booth, Steve and and Jeff, Rick. They treat me so good, man. It makes it so fun. And um, you know, there's been a lot of things going through my mind about my future and what I want to do and. Uh, you know, that being able to get back in the booth was a great experience for me. I, we talked about therapy. We talked about how that Xfinity race was, was good therapy, being at the track, seeing people, being around friends and being comfortable. Um, definitely that, that, that carried on over into Sunday, being in that booth and working that booth and, and going through that process. Now the rain delay was a little frustrating, mm. you know, and I'm sure it was for the fans as well to have to, uh, get out of the seats and, wait for the start and stay dry and all those things. It was very difficult for everybody. But, man, everybody hung around. That was pretty impressive. All the fans hung out all night long. Um, see that tweet I sent out about NASCAR president? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, he was in the grandstands. Yeah. What was he doing? Uh, I don't know. Probably talking to – Just talking to people? No, he was on the phone. He was on – Okay. Yeah. But I don't Steve, know who, Fe- Steve Phelps was in the grandstands, yeah. and you took a picture from him from, uh, of him from the booth, right? Yeah. So he had come – Helton come in there to tell us uh, that, you know, we feel pretty good about this. About an hour from now, it's going to stop raining, da-da-da-da, right? And they come in there to tell us that so that we can we can keep the optimism going on the broadcast, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not fake. It's, uh, you know, that – Helton genuinely feels strong about, you know, their confidence in starting the race, so he's going to come in there and let us know. And then Phelps come in there just to say hey. And then a few minutes later, uh, we look, and he's out there on the phone just standing at the top of the grandstands. And to me, like, it was perfect because it's throwback weekend. And that was so throwback-like for him, you know, to be standing there on the phone in the grandstand. That's neat. Okay. You know, it really would have been exactly what you would have expected out of Bill France Sr. Is that right? Um and and Bill Jr. Yeah. to be boots on the ground, you know, getting under try you know, for for Phelps or or Helton or any of those guys to be on ground level to see that perspective is important, and yeah. they know that you know, and so yeah, I, I, it wasn't it was just really a interesting sort of moment for not, me for me not to even divert from that, but then on Monday. You saw Kerry Tharp, the president of yeah, Darlington Raceway, starting on the side of the road like yeah. he's one of those guys during tax season, yeah. you know, trying like this, you know, trying to get people to do their taxes. But he was just saying, "Thank you, see you in 2020." Yeah, you're seeing these big time guys, these big time executive level pe- people, really showing gratitude, and that's nice. Yeah the um, the the fan support for the race this weekend. You talked about Saturday being great. Sunday was awesome. We've seen some decent numbers over the last several months with our with our TV audience. I just feel like that we're on we're turning the corner, you know, and it's things like seeing you know seeing Phelps down there uh, on the phone. I know it's not a big deal to some people. Some people are going to say, you know, whatever. I don't care. Uh, that doesn't mean anything to me. But I it means something to me. You know, what I mean, it means something to me, and it 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 it's another small sort of signal that things are in the right hands. Things are going in the right direction the care and passion and and uh 
over division mm. that our leaders have is uh, is great. And did so, you did you see Steve Phelps hit the car before the race? My car? Yeah. yeah. You did? I didn't think you would have seen him because it was a big I crowd. I did. I looked across. Uh, we were standing on the right side of the car, and I looked over to the driver's side, and there's Steve Phelps, the right. president of NASCAR, standing there just right. in, just, just yeah. Hanging that, out. That's why I didn't think you would have seen him because he wasn't, he wasn't out trying to get your attention no. or anything. He was standing there on pit road, you know, talking to people, but also taking in the, uh, the, the, the moment. Yeah. Yeah. He better enjoy that. You know, he better, I think he better enjoy nobody knowing who he is for a while. Because it's going to change. It's definitely going to change. Being anonymous, so you know, yeah. being able to go down into the crowd and 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 all that is going to uh, going to uh, change over time for him. And as we get as we go for farther into the future and and have the success that I believe we're going to have, people are going to learn more and more about Steve Phelps. But uh, yeah, it was pretty cool to look over there and see him and he, nobody bothering him and and yeah. bugging him and him just kind of taking it in. Did you have any other uh, final thoughts on the Cup race at all, or? Um... You know, you know, just Eric uh, Jones. Yeah, Air, yeah, great. Just you know, everybody. Well, not everybody stayed up and saw it. I know a lot of people couldn't couldn't stay up that late, but great race. The segment too was amazing, just was, as far as action on the track. I couldn't believe we had like a five car battle going on. They were crossing each other up. Too. Oh, it was crazy. And you never, you just can't. I loved your moment when you're like, it's just like the '80s, you know. Yeah. You know, I mean, like you, you literally were seeing passes back yeah. and crossing uh, crossovers. It was neat. It was and. Yeah, Eric did a great job. It was a lot of fun to uh, a lot of fun to watch that race. Pretty exciting stuff. All right, uh, paints favorite paint schemes. You want to do that? Yeah, come well, on. If well, you want to yeah, do yeah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold, hold on one second. Let me draw some notes out of my bag here. <laughs> yeah, I just so happened to have all the uh, my backpack from the race weekend and uh, all our notes. Um, I, I highlighted a couple paint schemes that I liked over the weekend. <laughs> I did too. <laughs> uh, Ryan Newman's Mark Martin 1993 Valvoline Ford. Now I typically frown upon throwback paint schemes that use incorrect colors and uh ryan newman's car was the uh, uh what was it it's oscar, oscar, oscar meyer colors right. right yeah 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 i don't know why i couldn't think of that so oscar meyer colors so it's orange yellow and all that it wasn't the valvoline colors right so i frown upon that usually when they don't re- use the correct colors but it really was a great looking race car okay ryan newman um kyle bush bobby hillen's 1990 snickers buick they did an amazing job on that car uh, aside from the fact they didn't use the gold wheels, it was an amazing job. Obviously, I was a little partial to Martin Trix Jr.'s 2004 Chance Two Motorsport Chevrolet, the Xfinity Series championship car that he drove. I thought, you know, it wasn't a perfect rendition, but uh, definitely one close to my heart. William Byron's Cold Trickle City Chevrolet from the movie Days of Thunder was awesome. So missed nice. opportunity by HMS not to have four all four cars in Days of Thunder livery. Oh. Missed opportunity there. So, like, you're talking about, like, the uh, the Hardys and the... Superflow, maybe. There was, somebody in the Xfinity Series ran a Superflow paint scheme. Uh, Jeremy so, Clements. Yeah. yeah. So, missed opportunity there. Bad job, HMS. Uh, but they had... <laughs> Jeez. I, I, I'm sorry. I just... <laughs> God, they had such... You know, could have been so cool to have all the four Days of Thunder cars out there. Michael McDowell's Jimmy Means, 1989-91 Alka-Seltzer Pontiac. That was pretty. I was a big Jimmy Means fan when I, when I was a kid, so that's why that one was special to me. And obviously, Bubba Wallace, Adam Petty's 1993 spree prepaid phone card Pontiac from the Arca Series. Beautiful race car. Kyle, uh, watching, you know, watching and, and hearing from Kyle Petty uh, throughout the weekend, how much that meant to him uh, was very cool. Uh, there, I mean, there were a lot of other great cars out there, but those are the few that I highlighted that I really enjoyed. 
I had highlighted Landon Castle Silver Bullet honoring Sterling Marlin. I'd noticed that my like my era, like my favorites all sort of came from the same era because that's what I that's my golden age of racing, right? Like the early nineties and then the two thousand. So like Landon Castle Silver Bullet I thought looked good. Brad Kozlowski's uh Rusty Wallace car, second year in a row he's done that. Um and then I even like Kyle Larson's uh Kodiak looking car that uh Ricky Craven ran in the See, early nineties. I liked it. I did but they missed on some of the colors. Yeah. I wonder about this. I wonder if it's because, like, like to me, these things aren't going to be perfect because of the, just the font of the number. Like, the numbers are such a prevalent part of the overall livery, right? And even the way the numbers look. And so when the numbers aren't going to be completely replicated in the same font, then it's not, you know, we're going to be hitting on seven cylinders when it comes to paint schemes, in my opinion. Like, uh, but... And then you got the other sponsors, you know, you know, they're not going to put like, yeah. um, you know, Coors Light on Landon Castle's car. What, what do you got? I, I just have to say it's going to sound like a homer here. But when I first saw that paint scheme of Dale's for this weekend with the Hellman's car and you see the die cast on our table, it looks OK. The white wheels. Yeah, the die cast pan- needs the white wheels. Made that paint I would have never realized that Seeing until that, you oh. made that such a focal point, and then I see how much it changes the overall look. It's beautiful. But imagine if you would have ran that car, your dad's paint scheme, but with the font of the eight that like the wrong typically font. use it. That and takes that away from the overall feel of the car. Yeah. Most people do that. We didn't in the, in the eight cars this, as far as it goes because right. he's the boss. Let's, let's, uh, <laughs> Those white wheels, though, like, made it look so cool around the track, So. Man. To be to be specific, I don't want to. Uh, I mean, notes, my notes, get my notes. Yeah, I got the uh, Sterling Marlin two thousand and two cores. Like you liked it. Yeah, they okay. did a good job there. Um, how about this? <laughs> I made a little joke or made a little fun of this during the race. Kurt Busch threw it back to his personal vehicle, nineteen sixty nine Chevy Camaro Z twenty eight. Wasn't a fan of that. That was weird. I did not understand. Okay, good. I'm not alone then. Well, he bought it a few years ago at a Barrett Jackson auction. I just thought maybe Kirk could tell us, you know, what the inspiration was there, but it's interesting throwback choice. Yeah. <laughs> throw it back to myself. I'm gonna throw it back to. Uh, my, I'm gonna throw a whole new wrinkle in I'm this gonna throw throwback it back game. To my, I'm throwing it back to me. <laughs> I'm gonna throw it back to my 1989 Silverado. Uh, <laughs> right, she's right. been a good one, 300,000 miles. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's weird. Because you know Jimmy Johnson threw it back to himself, but it was it was kind of a cool thing. It was you know his uh, truck. Yeah, I don't like. uh, I'll tell you another thing. I didn't really like the um, throwing Caterpillar's done this a few times, but throwing it back to their equipment. Right, we're talking about Hemrick's car, right? I don't get it. Um, you know, it doesn't resonate. If you're gonna if if you're gonna do that, throw back to Ward, right? You gotta throw back to Ward. So we missed opportunities, right? Race winner Eric Jones threw it back to his late model car. Okay. You know, he wins the race. Now that's going to mean a whole lot to him, right? Yeah. That car's going to, you know, he won the race in his throwback to his late model. Not but not, not terrible. Just not a fan of it, Mike? Not a fan of it just because it's hard. To, you know, listen, I get it, but, like, when you're throwing back to your late model, it's hard for a lot of people, most people, to have a personal connection to it, which is why it doesn't end in my favorites. I, I like to see things that I can relate to that I remember seeing on the racetrack. When they're, look, when they started the race, yeah. when they dropped the green and you saw – on the front row, that Miller, that Miller genuine draft lookalike next to the uh, Days of Thunder car, and man, it just brought all these just feelings of nostalgia. And then right behind it, you had that Ricky Craven look, and mm-hmm. then you had, I mean, just I can I have a personal connection to any of those cars because I remember watching them. All right, Corey LaJoy, uh, his 
his car was a throwback to Dale Jarrett's 1991 Nestle Crunch Pontiac. Thought that was a great one. Yeah, that was. Okay, so talking about Kyle Larson, the uh, the green on that car on the back lower quarter panel in 1995, it was like a lime green, like a bright green. So mm-hmm. I have a picture right here, Mike, so you can see. But that's yep. what I'm talking about. The little particulars. I'm, I'm a little bit. Too particular, maybe. Well, you are very particular about it. Now I see the difference. Yeah, yeah. I totally see the difference. They missed on that. Just a just a small miss. And the numbers, uh, yeah, they were right. What did you think of Denny's? I like Denny's. Western, Western Auto. Thought he did like. a good job I on it. it they got to use, yeah. And it's good because they get got they got to use the chrome numbers. Right. Oh man, Ron Bouchard's nineteen eighty four Buick. That's what Ryan Priest used, but they had a white hood on their car. Ron did not. See see a difference? Yeah. Like, come on, man. Oh, man. Kroger probably said, nope, we want a white hood. We need it because we have this certain particular logo that's blue. Can't have a blue logo on a blue hood. So those little things annoy me, but I'm, I'm a real. You're particular. I don't anticipate. I don't, I'm, I'm sure it doesn't matter to the general population. So well, that's why. Good stuff. You should keep <laughs> my stuff. mouth shut, probably. All right, we've been doing this great segment with Mountain Dew giving out some Dew time off. This one has a great family connection. Take a listen. I've been a partner with PepsiCo for more than a decade, man, but I've been a Mountain Dew drinker my whole life. In partnership with Mountain Dew, I'm going to give some employees DTO, which is due time off. And to make it even more special, I'm also throwing in $1,000 so they can pursue their passion. There's no excuse for hard work or lack thereof. I'm Danny Earnhardt. I've worked for Junior Motorsport for 12 years, and I'm the rear suspension mechanic. I mean, you know, most people that see you working for family business think you was put there because you're family, but I feel like I've always worked hard, no matter whether I was at DEI or here or wherever, I've just done my job. I'm putting in work, work, I'm putting in work. We come into the shop at Junior Motorsports, start on our suspension work, we work all day, we get it done and get it done right. Okay, Danny Earnhardt, my uncle. Danny Earnhardt, please come to the front studio. Has been paged to come into the studio. Danny Earnhardt, please come to the front studio. I know he's really busy and he's probably thinking, I don't have time for this. What, What is this about? He has no idea why we're paging him. And I hope we can surprise him. He doesn't show a lot of emotion though, so it'd be hard to tell whether he's surprised. Okay. Don't be so disappointed. Why gotta put my arm? Talk into the mic. This is a mic. Okay. How you doing? Good. So, Danny, you're my uncle. How long you been uh, employed at a race team? All my life. Nuh-uh. Mm-hmm. Well, man, I mean, you worked at the Cannon Mills as a general. What was it? What was your job there? General manager? No, I was a supervisor. Supervisor. So you worked there for how long? 25 years. And then did Dad come up and say, man, I want you to come work over at DEI, or were you thinking of making change? I talked to him yeah. about coming up there, and he said, oh, man, you got a good job. Why don't you just hold off? I don't even know if this is going to work. Because right when it started. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, of course, you know, he passed away, and then I talked to some people up there, and they got me up there. Yeah, that's right. But she'd been going to the races with Danny forever. Right. Complete here in the World 600. It is Earnhardt in front. I got pictures of you, of you carrying tires in the 70s and so forth for that, you know, when they, when y'all was racing at Nova and so forth. And you went to his races in 79 and 80, yeah. supporting him when he got his first full-time cup deal. I got pictures of you. I look at all that 
in video and in images, but man, you live it. You live those trips to Daytona and, and racing Metrolina, going to the races on the weekends with Dad and even Ralph. You didn't realize what you was doing. You know, you're just doing it. Yeah. So. Uh, do you like working in suspension? I yeah. mean, you must. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Is that what you did when you were helping Dad on his cars and? No, because and so forth? because I had a real job. I. We started helping Daddy, of course, yeah. just changing gears and putting tires on and off, yeah. and changing tires and whatever. Yeah, but you knew when you started working in the uh, Did you go right into suspension there? Yeah, I went to work for Bono. Yep. He put they put me on the rear ends. I learned how to do that. Yeah. That's what I've been doing ever since. And you're a grandfather, right? Right. Do you like being a grandfather? Mm-hmm. What do you like to do when you have like when you're off on the weekend? Do you spend time with? I try to spend time with Nash if yeah. I can. Well, the reason why I'm setting you down here is to tell you you might get a chance to do a little bit more of that. Mountain Dew has a program called DTOs, Dew Time Off. It basically uh, is a way for them to celebrate people that are hardworking and deserving of opportunities to have a day off. Right. Right. And so I got the chance with my partnership with them to be able to choose a few employees around here that I thought would be really deserving of that, and you were one of them. You've been dedicated. I tell people that you don't rock the boat. I want to give you a day off and a thousand dollars in this envelope. I'll take it. <laughs> well, I appreciate you coming in here. I appreciate and it. I hope you're surprised. I know it's hard to tell. I am. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, when he gave me the uh, check, I was surprised for sure. You just work hard every day and you just go on home. It's great great feeling to be rewarded you know it ain't like you're trying to get no reward out of it or anything else you just continue and go down the road well i was almost in shock because it's it's really great to hear it you know from somebody everybody wants to hear it you know pat on the back or something but generally you just work and work and work some more you know it's not nobody saying hey you did a good job today see you later you know you just go back and come back the next day yeah, it, it's, uh, it'll get you fired back up. I guess I'm most passionate about me and my wife taking Nash somewhere. I think a great thing to be would go to Tweetsie Railroad and ride Nash on the train, see how he liked it. And he's wide open. His favorite word is Papaw, so I'm great with that. I'm so glad our partnership with Mountain Dew has given me this opportunity to give some due time off uh, to my employees. I can't wait to see how Danny uses his DTO. Stay tuned. In the coming weeks, we'll be surprising more employees with Do Time Off. In the meantime, go live your passion and do the do. Okay, Dale, before we get to our guest, let's take a second to tell you about a great partner. Yeah, Mike, we're talking about Valvoline. Valvoline is a great partner on this podcast. They've been a part of my career, and they're still a partner with Junior Motorsports. That's right. We just ran Darlington, and that really, uh, you know, that's a place... We celebrate the history. That's right. And uh, Darlington, obviously, uh, has been a big part of this sport for so many years. When thinking about that, you see Valvoline has been there for so much of it. Yes. From Munster to Bouchard, Foyt, Martin. Not Martin Truex Jr. We're talking about Martin. Martin. Of course. I mean, one of the best <laughs> Valvoline cars there were. Yarborough to yeah. me. Right. 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 Yeah. Earnhardt. Uh, Valvoline <laughs> has been a mainstay on the timeline of motorsports history. I don't know if I rank up there with uh, some of those names. Well, you did put yourself last. I did. 
A lot of drivers are sponsored by Motor Oils, but Valvoline, to me, they are a true partner. They are always hands-on and helping us make our engines perform better. Back when I was racing at Hendrick Motorsports, they would send guys, their technicians, their engineers over to the garage to work in the engine shop with the guys uh, at HMS and develop oils specific for different types of motors. And I don't know, man, I, I think that's really, I think people will be really interested to know that. I know, they are. Right, Absolutely. so if you have a short track motor, you want the power to be in a certain RPM range. Uh, and you need more torque and things like that. And when you're racing at the plate tracks, you're obviously at the top end RPM all the way around the racetrack, running around max RPM the whole lap. You need the you need the power to be way up there, right? And they would develop oils to make those motors perform those tasks better uh, by changing the weight of the oil and so forth. Back in the day, they would make such light qualifying oils for qualifying to get an extra couple horsepower, one, two, three horsepower at Daytona Talladega. For qualifying, man, that's almost a tenth. I know, and y'all are really good there. That's why Valvoline is the motor oil that I trust in all my engines. That's why you should trust them in your motors, too. From high-mileage rides that need that thick anti-wear film to newer engines that have carbon buildup to qualifying motors that don't need very heavy weights, (laughs) head over to Valvoline.com slash Dale to find the product spec for your engine. That's Valvoline.com slash Dale. All right, Brad's here. You guys want to bring him in? Let's bring him in. All right, let's bring, let's bring in Brad. Brad. Let's bring in Brad Kozlowski. Let's bring in Brad, everybody. Let's bring Brad in. I think we're going to bring in Brad. Get on in here. Hey, Brad. Here, come put this headset on and tell us about it. He's walking into Junior Motorsports. This is, used to be his palace right here. This is where Brad used to make make it rain. How's, How's it going, Brad? Doing good. Doing good. Yeah. How are you guys? Awesome. I uh, No, it's, some things change. Some things stay the same, but there's uh, it's different. This used to be a gift shop. Yeah, right? you know, when you retire... Anticipate selling a lot less souvenirs. <laughs> Fair enough. So I'll go from one dollar to zero. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. No, cut, yeah. cut the souvenir shop in half. Cut it in half. Yep. We've made. Well, some you got trade. a line of people out there, so. Well, that they know we're doing the podcast, and they probably here for you as much as they are for anybody. So, um, well, I we tell them about the guests beforehand, and and uh, so they're excited. I'm sure to be able to get an opportunity. Plus, it's Darlington. A lot of people probably traveling through town yeah. to get home. It's interesting you say it because. Uh, you know, I always feel like there's a couple race weekends where fans always come through here. Yeah. Uh, Bristol race weekend. Right. That's right. Charlotte, of course. Yeah, Darlington, Martinsville. It's like, hey, on the way home, we'll just drive through Morrisville. You threw it back to Rusty Wallace, 1996 Miller Ford this year. Last year, you threw it back to a Rusty Wallace car. You won the race. Um, how do you decide your throwback? Does Miller help you? Mm, Miller makes the complete decision. Really? Yes. And you stay out of it. Well, they, they ask me, like, a final opinion. Uh-huh. And I'll be like, yeah, good. Okay. Uh, what but for throw, the most part, I stay out. What throwback are you wanting to do that you haven't been able to do yet? Uh, I really like the uh, the old Miller High Life car, Bobby Allison. Not the white and red one, because I already did that one. Yeah. Uh, the other one, what is it? It's more of a gold. I think that's a gold. Had gold le- numbers. Yeah, yeah. You don't Had a talk- red top, mm-hmm. white sides, gold numbers. Beautiful car. Yep. But uh, right. that's Miller High Life. And, you know, the, the beer brands are all kind of funny about that right you know yeah they're very competitive <laughs> yeah that like internally yes it does i don't understand and that everybody when I was, yeah go ahead I when i was racing for uh budweiser uh they were like man you should do a bud light car one race like the all-star race everybody and would say that bud light and budweiser are almost are in 
at a hit, at a odds. They were you know, competitive. Yes. Like they don't want to sell. They're more like beer. angry teammates. Yes, like Formula One teammates. Right. Bud Light sells more beer than Budweiser. Mm-hmm. At least that's what I believe. Right. Well, it yep. was the case, and and, and <laughs> so, there's certainly different marketing budgets. They wait, wait we don't want to help them budget, sell so. more beer. They're already selling we hate more those beer. Guys. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. I saw you know beer world's a little bit weird, but. You know, somebody once told me in racing, you know, you made it when you're sponsored by beer, cigarettes, and oil. So, yeah, (laughs) cigarettes are gone, but I still got beer. Now, how particular do you get about the paint schemes? Because if they're going to throw back, we were just talking about this. uh, And Dale, as you remember, probably know, is so particular about it. If you're going to throw back the paint scheme, he wants everything perfect. It's got to be right. And and what about that for you? So, I don't have to worry about it because, you know, we joke that uh, Roger Penske is our art director who just so happens to be our car owner. Every paint scheme. He looks at. Wow, that's every. Cool. I mean, think of all the paint schemes. You know, he's got Indy cars, the Cup cars, oh, wow. Xfinity cars. He looks at every paint scheme. That's pretty cool. And uh, come January, before we go to Daytona every year, he has them. Uh, you know, paint up a car, decal it. You know, we're talking like first, second week of January. And he comes into the shop and looks at each one because he wants. You know, he sees it in art, but he wants to really see it. Yeah. So they end up painting cars like in halves. So you'll have like one half of a car will be one idea he had, and the other half will be the other idea he had. And you'll look at one side, and they'll walk around the other side, look at it. But no, so he's he's really intense about paint yeah. schemes. It's kind of like you know every place has their thing. That's Mr. Penske's thing. Like you don't mess with his paint schemes. You don't like put them down. You don't like give recommendations. <laughs> you know they're very much his paint schemes. That's pretty interesting. I didn't give. I didn't figure that for him. You'd think the drivers would be the ones to be real particular. It makes sense, though. I mean, he's very brand-oriented. Uh, I mean, like, the, the Penske brand represents so much, and so for him to be that particular yep. about paint schemes makes sense. I didn't know it either, but that's really cool. So every yeah. once in a while, we'll get, like, a, you know, a junior sponsor person that comes in, you know, and, and they'll have, like, a paint scheme idea, and they'll try to push it on us, and it'll get up to RP level. Like, oh, you don't want to do that. that that's, that's not what RP wants, and they'll push it up. <laughs> and it's like hell hath no fury. <laughs> it's like he hits the button and they drop down the chute. Yes, yeah, exactly. Like, believe me, this is not a road you want to cross, buddy. So, Brad, you came. You come from a racing family. Mm-hmm. Your dad raced. What do you remember about your dad's career? Uh, Char- I wish characterize I re- your experience as I a child. I wish I remembered more than yeah. I do. I really. Do. I wish I could remember every bit of it. You know, I I, I joke about you know when I fail with memories that you know give me a break. I've hit a lot of walls. Yeah. You know. Uh, but probably the biggest memory I have is the first time that I can recall, at least, going to Victor Lane with my dad mm. and how excited Remember where I that was? was? Yeah, it was the first time that I remember. I know there were times before, but the first time I really remember it was uh, DuCoin, Illinois Dirt Track, in an ARCA race. Yeah. And it was 1994, so I was 10 years old. Now, my dad had won races before that. Right. But it seemed like every year we'd get to travel with him during the summer. But not during the spring or the fall because of school. And he would only win during the spring and the fall. And we'd be like, you never got to go. Yeah. And so um, he won a, a string of races uh, in, in 94, and I'll, I'll never forget that. That was, that was one of the best days of my life. And, and probably uh, of all the things that uh, you know, stand out as being like one of the most hurtful moments in your life, missing my dad's win when he won his first and only NASCAR truck race. Mm. Oh, was that crushing. Where was that? It was uh, Richmond in 97. Oh, wow. And it was the first day of school. I'd traveled with him all summer. And he had a, it was a lousy summer. Like, he ran, like, 10th, 15th. And then the first race I didn't go to, he won. So then you're kind of like, maybe it's me. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, when you're a kid, I was, you know, 10, 12 years old. Like, maybe it's me. You know, but uh, I, I really wish I could have been there for that. So 
besides your dad, uh, obviously he ran in the ARCA series and the truck series for years. Um, your family, other, I mean, you have a, uh, his brother mm-hmm. uh, ran in the Cup series. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, talk about that a little bit. Have you done any real, you know, kind of digging on just how much history is there for your family? Yeah, well, you know, my family's from Michigan, uh, which you would think would be huge for cars and for racing. Right. But it's not. It's really strange how it never really developed into that. I always kind of had a theory on it that maybe just people in Detroit wanted a break from cars. So, you know, that's what they want to do is watch racing. But what it was was really big into all other forms of automotive. So a lot of, like, motocross. My, my grandfather actually used to run motocross, and he'd race snowmobiles during the winter. Hmm. So where my family start really in NASCAR and stock car racing came from is one day my grandfather was running hill climb, and he fell off and, and almost got killed. Wow. And so my dad was really young at the time. You know, it, 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 it was four siblings. And grandma comes in and says, you're done. You know, you know how that is. When, yeah. when the missus says you're done, that's when it's really over, right? So she tells him he's done, but he doesn't want to quit racing. You know, this is, you know, early 50s. And, uh, you know, he still has some spunk in him. So he decides, well, I want to do the stock car racing. And at that time, stock car racing was fractured, right? You had NASCAR, which was the south. And you had USAC, which was the north, maybe the midwest and so uh, they competed in, in uh, USAC. And mm. that's where they started running stock car races. And every once in a while, and ARCA as well, and every once in a while those races would go down south, and every once in a while the NASCAR races would come up north, and it was just, hey, we'll run that race. So now USAC, of course, is you know years since defunct. But uh, over time, my, my dad and uncle grew up working in the pits, and you know they came to some of the original NASCAR races, you know, the first Talladega race. I got uh, you know, pictures of my dad and uncle there watching the race and being a part of it and you know they tell stories about being here for the early coke 600 like the first one and they came and they were you know 17 18 year old kids but uh eventually you know my uh, uncle got drafted into the war vietnam uh he came back and was a bit of a thrill seeker so then he started racing and yeah it just kind of transcended from there yeah wow so yeah so i've seen i've i've the name keselowski popped up in uh some of the uh, history that I've you know dug up and researched. Uh, he raced eighty eight car, yeah. yeah he raced uh, Daytona and and mm-hmm. all you know all, all kinds of places with you know very very competitive. You know, so as the story I'm told on the eighty eight car goes, my uncle raced eighty eight car. Yeah, and uh, he was approached by uh, who was it, Buddy Baker, uh, that took over the somebody took over the eighty eight. I can't remember who, but they didn't have any money to race. Like they they barely made it to the racetrack. Like their racing stories aren't as much about the races as they are, like, the trip to get to the track. Like, yeah. you know, we had this old torn-down truck, and we took the, the motor out of the race car, we put it in the truck because it broke down halfway, we got to the <laughs> racetrack, took it back out of the truck, put it in the race car, and ran the race. That's right. Like, those are their racing stories. How'd you finish? I don't know. I don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> That's sort of like it was with Dave Marcus a few weeks ago yeah. when he was here, you know, driving from Wisconsin and that kind they, of thing. They, the they can tell you everything track. that happened on the way there and home, but yes. can't the race. The race? <laughs> I don't remember. Yeah. Did we run it? Yeah, yeah maybe it rained out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. How do you not remember it? Uh, but anyway, so they, they, would, they barely made it to the racetrack. So one year somebody offered them to sell the 88 uh number because they really wanted the car number and uh so they sold it uh and i don't want to say it was the buddy baker's team but I, I might have that wrong yeah and uh yeah that's how uh that's how it turned and they turned in the 19 so people ask me my, my trucks used to be 19 to 29 those were my my dad and uncle's two numbers okay 19 to 29 so what's uh what do you remember about your first race car what's the first thing you ever drove competitively first like full body race car you know i ran quarter minutes uh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, you didn't know that? No. Yeah. So I ran quarter Tell me about that. for uh, two years. 
And uh, so the first quarter midget I ever had was uh, my dad's friend had one for his son. And his son outgrew it. Mm. And like, well, what do we do with this? And, and my dad traded him. I don't know. My dad was always a horse trader, as you can probably tell from this story. <laughs> like, here, take this, uh, some metal I'm not using anymore and don't have any use for. And let my son run, you know, three or four races in your quarter midget. So that was a deal. Yeah. How old were you? I was 14. Okay. 14. So I, I wasn't, like, super young. I wanted to race way before that, and we didn't have the means to do it. So That is uh, agonizing. Oh. Because I, I was yes. there, too, like – Sitting there at 12, 13 years old going, mm-hmm. I want to race something. And I, yeah. that, we did have the means. Dad's sitting there in his recliner every night, and I'm going, uh, you know, tell me like how, what, how to get mm-hmm. into something. Like, I'm dying. I can't wait yep. till I get my driver's license. That's three more years. Exactly. You know? Those are the longest years of your life. God, like 12 to 16. Awful. Longest years of your life. Yeah. Painful, awkward. If you're wanting to drive race cars. Oh, it is. man, it was. And, and so I remember we, uh, I got my dad to get me like an old uh, yard cart. So, you know, I'd race in the backyard or pretend to race in the backyard. Like, you know how you'd have the pictures in your head, like yeah. there are other cars around you and you'd be driving a go-kart. And uh, eventually I, I just must have wore him down. And I'll never forget because <laughs> he, he drove me to school one day. And my dad didn't know he was driving to school. And uh, I remember him just kind of nonchalantly, you know, he's driving. I'm sitting next to him. He just looks over at me and he says, uh, hey, I, I think I got an opportunity, uh, you know, for you to race a, a quarter midget if you want to. Just like that, just completely nonchalant. And I'm over there like, what? <laughs> yes, yes. Is this a trick? <laughs> this is the meanest trick ever. If this is just a trick, and uh, no, I, so I remember everything about it. Yeah, and it so was how, agonizing to not get the race, but yeah, how did it go? It went well. I won my uh, I won my first six races. What? Yes, Dang. first six. Yeah, and uh, yeah. So what's tough about winning your first six races is when you lose your seventh. Yeah, <laughs> like you forget <laughs> all about winning the first six. You hadn't learned how to lose yet. No, no, no. That's a big and I'm deal. a terrible loser. So did you guys test and I mean, I'm just, no, I, I got one time that let me run some practice laps. So, okay. That was it. Yeah, that was it. And then yeah. he's off and winning. And so what? <laughs> yeah. What so was, then my dad got me, that was somebody else. Right. Is you got your own. So then he got me my own and then, uh, I got to race, but, uh, and kind of grew through the ranks from there. Yeah. What were the ranks? So for me, uh, quarter minutes, then I went to uh, factory stock, hobby stock, and everybody's got a different name like for them. Street stock. stock, yeah. So what was your street stock car? It was a 70... 70- Nine Monte Carlo. Yes, I had a seventy-eight. <laughs> yeah, really? Yes, no kidding. Yeah, and it had the fenders that had like the peak on it. Yeah, and I, I remember because I hit somebody and it like flattened out, and I could never figure out how to fix it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, I could never get that peak pulled back out. So you'll be shocked to know I had a lot of torn up right front fenders. But dude, yeah, I mean street stocks. I, I, it's amazing that the front clip on our car didn't eventually snap Just off fall as many off. times yes. as we had to straighten it. Um. Yeah, man, a 78 Monte Carlo, 79 Monte Carlo, that's a pretty common car for, oh, yeah. for street stocks. So how did that go? Went really well. Yeah. So my my first two or three starts didn't go well. Um, I'll never forget. So what racetrack are you at? So I ran those up in Michigan, this track called Auto City. Real small track up and around Flint, Michigan. Still area. going today? Yep, still going. Now they got, uh, it's funny because now they, they race, but only like once a month. And they do weed festivals there. <laughs> oh, okay. Like, apparently right. that's a big deal up there. They can do weed festivals. Weed festivals. Yes, yeah. weed right. festivals. Right. But it's Just a big deal in Kind of like Flint, Woodstock Michigan. or something. Yeah, it's like a Woodstock, Woodstock type for thing. racing. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I saw that when we landed in Michigan, they had a big billboard up there. And I saw that and thought it was the funniest thing ever. But uh, racing's changed a little bit. How big a track is that? <laughs> Seven sixteenths. Yeah. God, that's the first time I ever heard that. 
a seven sixteenth. Seven sixteen. Yeah, everybody always rounds up. Y'all are very particular up there. Very very precise. They round up the half like every other track in the world. Like <laughs> yeah. you know, they're really not it's a like half. Quarter like, half three eighths. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> First time I've ever heard. It's a seven sixteenth mile. <laughs> I haven't heard that either. Yeah. Of course, I hadn't heard a weed festival. But if you're in racing, track. every you know every measurements need to be precise. Right. Yes. Well, I guess so. That that weed part's definitely gonna get edited. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I can see the show sponsors <laughs> being like, "Yeah, let's not play that part." <laughs> But. So you're running your street stock up there uh, in between weed festivals? Yeah. Um, <laughs> they didn't have them at the time. Now, not so much. So, have the, so tell me, how you did the car drive good right out of the gate? Oh, no, it was terrible. Right? It was terrible. Plowing. Oh, it, it was super tight in the middle. Barely touched the gas. Whoop, 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 whoop. Spin it. And I don't know about yours, but mine shattered the rear tires. Oh, yeah. Fierce. Them street tires. Oh, pop. man. The, bounce, the rear end would bounce like it's. Yes. It ripped the spider gears out it of the was, rear end. And my, my favorite part about that kind of racing is I always say that it prepared me for cup. Because when I want to run late models, like if you rub somebody, like you'd get out of the car and it'd be like, meh, you know, somebody, they get a little upset, but not super upset. That was late models, like the nicest cars at the local. Mm-hmm. But the street stocks, like if you bump somebody, there was a fight in the pits. Like any simple little like rub, you put a donut on a car. I had a race where I put a donut on somebody's car, and they chased me through the pits madder wow. than Wow, really? And, and so they, I always thought that that was the funniest thing. Like this is the lowest value race car, and you're the most upset you could be. Why, why is that? I don't know. That is interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's because you know, the street stock level is the racers that are just barely able to race. And so that's frustrating for them when yeah. they get tore up a little bit. Well, me and Carrie put a uh, our first tire mark on our street stock. We took pictures with it. <laughs> I got a picture of me and was Carrie. It, what kind of phone did you use? Did you use like the wind up or the I, camera you used? I don't, I don't think even I used know. the phone. It's probably <laughs> yeah, the, it was probably the Kodak. You know, yeah, the disposable. You, yeah, disposable. <laughs> but yeah, got, we're standing. We're standing, and there's a tire mark. It's like a half tire mark, uh, and we're like. What's the story? You felt like a real badass, yes. didn't you? Yes. Yeah. Well, real quick, where did y'all get your first street stock cars? Where did you find yours? Yeah, where did you get yours? Carrie had a friend who owned a. Carrie had a buddy of his that owned a junkyard, and he gave it to us. Gave he us the car. Gave you the yep. car out of the junkyard. Yep. All right. Mine was uh, somebody else's old race car, and it had been sitting in a barn for like three or four years. That's cool. That yeah. Is. When we got it, it was like uh, my dad bought it because it was like the cheapest one he could find. Sure. <laughs> and he, he just thought, give him this, he'll completely destroy it. Right. And I don't think he knew how bad what he bought was because <laughs> when it actually showed up, he looked at it like, <laughs> like you couldn't touch it. Like anything you touched was rust. He had a technus shot. Yeah, yes. Oh, it was terrible. Do you know terrible. how much he spent on it? Uh, I want to say it was like 3800 bucks. Wow. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, 3800 It was something like that. For a, yeah. for a car yeah. in a barn. Yeah, but it was not worth that. Yeah. <laughs> it was not worth that. But it was the cheapest one he found, so that's <laughs> what we went with. So how go. long did you run this street stock? Ooh, about a year and a half. Wow, that's a pretty long time. A year and a half, yeah. Yeah, yeah it was just the right you amount. you started in you know, 14 or 15 when you started in the mid- So I was 16 <clears throat> when I ran a, a street stock. Yeah. So now, now, like, you watch these K&N races or, you know, the, the ARCA races, and like, 16-year-old, da, I da, know. Da, 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 and I'm like, damn, I'm old. Right? <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. Like, the kids, back then was different. Yeah, the kids that you're racing against now, the rookies, Byron and those guys, I mean, they're starting when they're five, eight years old. Yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't really get in a car. I, I really wasn't racing till I was 15, 16. Yeah, Crazy. But, but you know what? I, I don't know about you. I feel better because of that. Like, I, I'm not, like, I have no regrets. Yeah. Like, I think if I had started as soon as they did, I would have been out of it quicker. You'd have burned out? God, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Absolutely. I mean, I don't have any regrets. Like, you know, 
you go to these t-ball games and you watch like the five-year-olds playing when, when they get 12 they want nothing to do with baseball yeah right and i saw that at the racetrack too like i'd see the five-year-olds i'll never forget when i was running quarter midgets there was this girl she had to be 10 11 years old now you and i have daughters and and i'm, I'm learning this and you have daughters too grace yep. yeah but uh girls just mature quicker yep. than guys do so there was this girl there that was you know 10 12 years old and she would kick everyone's butt and uh like you, you know you hear about all these girl racers and i bet i ran into when i was running quarter midgets at least three or four drivers that i think could have made it and been very good based on how they were at that time and every one of them burn out yeah like by the time they got 15 16 years old like i, I want i'm done i'm like no you're good like yeah, yeah but you know it's, it's so interesting how that plays but I don't have any regrets. Like my teammate Joe Logano, he started racing when he was five. Wow! So, you know, he's uh, I think he's about six years younger than me. Yeah, he has more racing experience than I do. Yeah, six years younger, and uh, you know, there's some days I look at that and say, well, maybe I could have got to, to Cup earlier. And there's other days where I'm like, thank God, because I was nowhere near mature enough, ready for it to handle. I that. certainly wasn't either. At ten years old, eight years old, whatever, I would have burned yeah. out immediately. So. Yeah, I don't have any regrets. I'm glad you don't either. So you ran your street stock, winning races, winning some street stock races eventually. Yeah, I won. Uh, it took me about six or seven races. Yeah, and the first two or three were really bad. <laughs> I mean, like really bad. Like spin out two or three times in a race, and they're like, "You spin out one more time, we're parking you." <laughs> right. You know, like yeah. back, back yes, to sir, the barn. Yes, sir. You know, like. <laughs> and uh, the key moment for us, I, I got to where I could run. You know, like fourth or fifth, and I, I was nowhere near winning. The key moment for us was uh, a guy that my dad knew. Told us, said, well, the problem is you don't have the right transmission in that thing. And that's da-da-da-da. My dad put a different transmission in it, and it fixed the whole car. Really? It, all that wheel yeah. hopping stuff, all that, it all went away. And then I could actually drive it. Wow. And I'll never forget that. I, I remember when it came in, I remember thinking, oh, I, this is ridiculous. But he, he put what was called a, a power glide transmission in it, and it smoothed everything out. Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I remember that. So uh, Those are the things you remember. I got, like, a, the Mark Martin-type memory. Yep. I don't remember, like what setup we ran last week. Well, I could tell you, like, the early days we ran oh, this yeah. car, this spring, yeah. preloaded the sway bar, percent and a half. Yep. Yeah, but I don't remember anything today. Yep. <laughs> so I don't why. You got a lot of people to have to – they can remember it for you. I think – you think that's it? I, I think it might be. I mean, like, you know, you guys didn't have teams of people to, to, to handle stuff. I mean, so much is different now. But you guys had yourselves. Yeah, it was – That was it. Well, like, your setup was what you wrote on the sheet. <laughs> so you remember it. Now it's like – the team might hand you a sheet, and you're looking yeah. at it like, I don't know what any of this is. Do they if even I, want you to yeah. be involved in it? No. no, that, no is why, that is why you remember all those things, because you wrote them down. I think so, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yep. now today, if to, to you can look at a sheet, you see it, you know what's on it, but you're not going to remember that. Yeah, uh, it doesn't make its way in. No. Like, it's in one, out the that's other. That's why I'm a noter, note-taker kind of guy, because when I ha- I have to write it down, mm-hmm. even if it's because we're we're sitting there preparing for the races and Parker Klingerman sitting next to me, he's like, "Man, you're old school writing all this down." I'm like, "That's the only way I can remember anything yep. is by writing it out, even if I know it." Guys, let's take a quick break from Brad uh, and take a little time to tell you about a great partner with Dale Junior Download. Time, it's out there. <laughs> we all spend it in different ways, right? We all need more of it. We're all real busy. Especially if you have a small business. No one really has time to go to the post office. That's right. right? I mean, who's got time for all the traffic and parking, lugging all your mail around and packages? Get rid of that hassle. How? Use Stamps.com, one of the most popular time-saving tools for small businesses. 
Stamps.com brings all the amazing services of the U.S. Post Office right to your computer. Whether you're a small office sending invoices or an online seller shipping out products or even a warehouse sending thousands of packages a day, Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. Use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send. Once your mail is ready, just hand it to your mail carrier or drop it in a mailbox. It's that simple. Stamps.com is a no-brainer, saving you time and money. It's no wonder over 700,000 small businesses already use Stamps.com. I'm telling you, the convenience and discounts they offer make it a win-win. Right now, our listeners get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. What? Yep, without any long-term commitment. No long-term commitment. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Dale Jr. That's Stamps.com, enter Dale Jr. You uh, you ran the, ran the street stock, then what's next? What get you a super I went late? I late models, yeah. Yep, late models. So is there, is there different stages of late models? Because there's pro late models, yeah, there's crate so late models. There's We had limited late models huh? where I was from, which was like, uh, it was a normal late model, but with a, uh, a front chassis like a factory stock, stock like a front clip. clip, stock front clip. And a smaller motor. I ran that for about a year or two. Man. Ran okay. Yeah. So about that time, I was, gosh, what was I, I was 17, 18 years old, and uh, then made it to, uh, to Super Late Models. Yep. How did the Super Late Model experience go? Oh, I loved it. Yeah. It was awesome. Where are you racing at now? So then my dad would not let me race at one track. So I, I raced at like five different tracks. Okay. I would race in uh, Auto City, Michigan, Owasso, Michigan. Uh, Berlin, Michigan, Kalamazoo, Michigan, and Toledo, Ohio. Those Who, were like my five tracks. Who's helping you? I had like a ragtag, like one or two people. Yeah? Yeah. Where are those people Looking now? back at it now, I, was, I don't know how how I did it. But, yeah. Uh, it was like, uh, hey, uh, so-and-so owns the asphalt company, and he's available. Like, hey, will you come help? Yeah. And uh, I'd go to the track with like one, maybe two people. My dad would always go with my brother. My older brother raced late miles at the same time. And, of course, being the brothers that we were, we never raced at the same track. Never. <laughs> Never. Right. Like, it was like a bad, it was like bad karma for right. a race at the same track. And I think there was a, you know, one race really early on where we both ran late miles at the same track, and my brother spun me out. Oh. And uh, that that was it for it, because, you know, mom and dad, you know, everybody's mad at each other. W- you know, success uh, with a family, best success you ever have. Uh, the highs are high, but the lows yeah. when you're racing with your family are really How low. How long did that carry over? Like how long did that last? Uh, oh, probably you know a couple of weeks. Really? Yeah, a couple of weeks. Wow. Yeah. What kind of race car driver was your brother? He was really good. He, he still is really good. Uh, you know, he was uh, his nickname's the Bull. Yeah. And my brother was a qualifying. So he was like Ryan Newman a qualifying. <laughs> he would always out qualify me because he, he would just drive it so hard. I mean, just he'd go to qualify and he'd drive in like two car lengths deeper. Slide up the track and you know just mad it and take off. He's like, "There's no way that's fast." Yeah. Oh, no, that was fast. <laughs> you know, he was always so good at that. Yeah, you know, we were always two different styles because I could never qualify at all, and I would race well. But uh, so Brian had some some actually really good success. Um, you know, running late models, ARCA cars, things like that, and uh, just never really for whatever reason got the the chance that I did when I got to drive for you. He mm-hmm. never got a chance like that to to break through. Yeah. Um, so now he still works in the garage. You know, he helps different teams out as a mechanic. Right. But uh, I think he, he wishes, obviously, he was was driving. But uh, and, and he he did pretty well when he did. Yeah. So you're running your super late, and uh, 
winning races in that. Yep. Um, what was the next step? So I started running super late miles 2002, 2003. Early 2003, my dad had a, a massive stroke. So my dad has a massive stroke. Uh, and, you know, our family's business uh, competed in the what's now the NASCAR uh, Gander Mountains truck series. Uh, and so he ran the team, and we'd race on weekends where the truck team wasn't running, which, thank God, the truck schedule was what it was. You know, they run 24 times a year. Uh, but so then the, everything was in jeopardy, right? Uh, we didn't have a lot of money to begin with, but now we were really, you know, in trouble. So I went to work for the team full-time, and uh, I was working for them part-time before, but then I went full-time to try to help. And so uh, I worked for the team for about a year and a half, two years, and probably ran like three or four races a year. Dude. Uh, and that was, it was painful. Yeah. It was really painful. Until I got to 2004, when my dad let me run uh, the truck uh, a handful of times. Really? Yep. And uh, so he started to recover. It took him about a year to, to recover and uh, to where he could, you know, go to the racetrack and, and be, he would go to the racetrack, but it was like no physical activity, like. So about a year later, he got to where he could, could do things again. And uh, so we ran the truck. And uh, that's why I got my first start at Martinsville 2004. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when did crazy. you start noticing him? Uh, first time I noticed Brad was on TeamSpeak. We were racing online. Oh, <laughs> Team yeah, TeamSpeak. Yeah, TeamSpeak is a throwback communication. still going here. Team is that speak still is, around? Well, they use... Because it's Discord now. Discord right? now, yeah. So it's basically a chat program where you can basically talk to your buddies while you're racing or playing video games. People use it for, for that. Um, and so we're on our computers. I'm at home. Uh, TJ's hanging out. Truex, I think, was living with me or renting from me at the time. And this you was and, the Modular House, right? Yeah. The Mod- I remember you that. and your brother were on TeamSpeak mm-hmm. uh, racing online with us. Yeah. I think yep. y'all were still living up north. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't move down here until I come to drive for you. So that was the first time that I remember Brad's name and hearing Brad talk. And us. I think we were all kind of just a big group of friends. Like most of the people that you raced online with, you never met in person. No. You know, but you would talk to them every night Mm -hmm. or once a week or whatever while you're racing online. So that was the first time I'd ever heard of those two guys. Uh, Mm -hmm. And then we went to... We were at Atlanta and I was up in a condo. Dad and Teresa owned a condo in Atlanta. And Brad was driving a 23 car in the Xfinity yes, Series. Yeah, Who owned that car? A guy by the name of Keith Coleman. Okay. Uh, he was out of uh, Kentucky, originally from uh, somewhere in Louisiana. Yeah. New Orleans, I think. So this 23, black 23. And Brad, you know, that car would run in 20th to 35th every week. Uh, Brad was in it every other, you know, there have been a few other people driving it. But Brad's mm-hmm. getting in this car. And he went to the high side at Atlanta and ran that car probably about 10 or 15 spots better than it should have ran. Yeah, I remember that race. And I said to TJ, because I was like, oh, that's Brad Kozlowski from our sim racing mm-hmm. crew. And dang, man, he's really doing a great job. And then we went to Bristol, same year, a couple weeks later, and Brad qualified in the top 10, eighth, I think. Something like that, yeah. With that car. Yeah. At Bristol. And me and him happened to be parked side by side. I was that's running right. in the race, too. yeah. And so Brad's sitting there on pit wall, and I sit down next to him, and we just had a conversation. And I was like, man, I'm really impressed with how you're driving this car, man. You, I watched you at Atlanta, and your rents are good, and you were moving around, and not a lot of people move around, and you were moving around looking for speed and found speed. And then here you are qualifying the top 10 here. This is freaking crazy. And I looked at that car, you know, and it was just, uh, you know, 
pretty rough little. It was car. rough. Yeah. yeah, it was rough. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I immediately started, you know, paying a little closer attention to Brad at that point. Gotcha. Because and the reason I wonder about that is because at some point Dale Jr. became like your biggest advocate, mm-hmm. and I remember with us in Junior Motorsports, we had a sponsor, we had a team, and whatever. When and, and uh, Dale Jr. was convinced that you are the next driver at some point. Do you remember how yeah. this all went down? Because I don't know that everybody was all about Brad Kozlowski as being <laughs> well, the next driver. No, no, definitely not. It wasn't so much that it was – It was so what was going on with us is that we had a couple different guys in the seat, and we were cha- we, had been, wrote, we had been changing drivers. We'd, we'd, went, we'd had about three guys in the car over a period, short period of time. So no one was excited about another change, no matter who it was. Right. We were – you know, we weren't, it was like, oh, we just changed drivers. Now you think this guy's going to do it. You know, it's like, mm, we mm-hmm. got to, you know. So one thing, though, is uh, what I liked about Brad was that he, from a racing family, right? And so I knew that he knew how to take care of his race car because of how his family mm-hmm. raced, uh, how his dad raced. And I was watching him run at 23. I'm like, they have an objective not only to try to run well, but also they have to race that car the next yeah. weekend. They it's have the only to take, car we had. Yeah, you have to take yeah. care of it. So Brad had that mentality. Whereas the drivers we were working with were like, oh, cool, new car, cool. Boom, crash. Bam. Oh, okay, we got another car. Get that car out. Okay, wah, bam. All right, new car. We we'll went build another cars. One. Gosh, we were going through cars. And in our, we were budgeted not to, you know, go through a lot of race cars, and so we had to fix that. I knew how to fix it. I was like, if we put Brad in there, we're going to run as good as we possibly can, maybe better, and we're going to finish the race. You know, mm-hmm. we're going to have a great car. First race we go go run at is it Chicago? Chicago, yeah. Right. Wow, you remember that? Yeah, put, we put Brad in the car, and it ran all day, and we finished great. And everybody went, hmm, man, that was kind of nice. I remember though, to, we kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but. You run. You got an opportunity to run a truck at Memphis. Mm-hmm. All right, mm-hmm. is that kind of the first big break in your mind? I think so. So uh, you know what's tough is was, I, there, was there a big break before that that I didn't see? I don't think so. I think that was probably the first real big break. You yeah. know, you, you catch a lot of little ones. Sure, that yeah. was the first big one. Something happened. What what, what happened? So uh, the week before, I was in Milwaukee. The team I was driving for, the, I was saying about they had shut down. Um, you know, they, there was a whole bunch of issues, couldn't pay the bills, yada, yada, yada. You know, normal race team yeah. stuff that happens. And so uh, I'm on the sideline. I'm like, Argh. you know, again, back on the sideline. Well, Milwaukee was where the race was that weekend that the team had shut down. So, uh, you know, Milwaukee, Detroit, you know, it's about four and a half, five-hour drive. So I'm just going to drive there. And their trucks and Xfinity were there. So I drive to Milwaukee. Uh, I think this was the cup-off weekend. I can't remember exactly what it was. But I drive there. And uh, I go through the garage, and, you know, you walk through, and you try to knock on doors. What opportunities are there? Yada, yada. And mostly I was there for the trucks because I was trying to find a, a truck ride. And uh, I ran into Todd Bodine. And Todd Bodine said to, to me, he said, hey, man, uh, I, I feel like you've done a great job with that Xfinity car. And, uh, you know, if you ever need a break, you know, I'll, I'll try to help you where I can. And, and you know, I said, yeah, man, I need break bad. And, and I don't know what it is, but, uh, you know, if you know anything, let me know. He says, I will. Well, sure enough, his teammate at the time was Ted Musgrave. And uh, in the race, Ted Musgrave was, was running really well, I think, top five. And that was back when they used to have the restarts where the lap-down cars were on the inside and the leaders were on the outside. And they had a restart, and uh, the guy underneath him was lapped down, got loose, wrecked him. And he was mad. So he drove up to him as they were both kind of stopped against the wall and, like, <laughs> ran into him, right? Uh, I don't know. Everybody's got a different version of it. And NASCAR suspended him for one week. You know, they... 
uh, their whole thought, which I agree with, is, you know, they were just in a wreck. The car could have been compromised. You know, sure. everything was done, and you started it back up. Got it. So they suspended for one week. And uh, Todd, of course, that was his team truck. He told the owners, you need to call Brad. Go run Memphis. You need to call Brad. Go run Memphis. So uh, they did. They called me. And uh, I'll never forget because they wanted all kinds of paperwork. Like, all right, uh, you can drive this week, but we need your workers' comp number. I'm like, ah, uh, <laughs> uh, workers' comp. About that. Yeah. What, what, what is that? What is that? <laughs> yeah. What exactly do you need? I'll, I'll figure out how to get it, but what do you need? Uh, all right, we need your insurance. Uh, you yeah. know, like like oh, this Lord. whole bunch of, uh, like, all right. And I said, well, make sure to bring your uniform. Like, uh. <laughs> so if you if, if there's pictures online of me running that race and out of the car, I'm wearing Ted Musgrave's uniform. <laughs> oh, wow. And it's like clamped together. Like, <laughs> But um, so I remember I got to the racetrack to drive it. And I looked inside. Of course, beautiful. It was a brand new race truck. And uh, it had air conditioning. Yeah. You know, like I'd never drove it and had air conditioning before. And I remember the first time I sat in it, like, you know, the toggle switch, like on, off. On, like a little kid, like, yeah. this is awesome. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, we ran the race, and uh, I, I sat on the pole, led a bunch of laps, and uh, I was battling with uh, Travis Kovapo mm-hmm. at the end. And uh, I had passed him for the lead, and I caught a lap car or lap truck, I guess, and uh, the lap truck got loose in front of me. I hit him, and it split the nose open. And like, oh, now it's slow, right? And yeah. so Travis caught me with, you know, a handful of laps to go, and, I was doing all I could to block him and like, no, oh, I'm not letting this guy by. And eventually he got tired of that and, and, mm. and, and hit me. But yeah. Uh, yeah, that was that was about my first big break. It's the first time I'd ever led laps, you yeah. know, ran up front and been competitive. And that was really an amazing day. Yep. So the um, <clears throat> immediately after that happened, I, I'd already been talking to Kelly and, and a couple of people here at Junior Motorsports about Brad. Uh, hadn't been I hadn't talked to Brad yet, but um, I was telling him, I'm like, man, this is a guy we, we're, we're looking for a driver. I think this is a guy we need to we need to figure out how to get him in the car. I think he can do it. And I'm going on and on about that for a couple weeks. This race happens, and then I called Kelly and I said, "We got to get on this now. If this is going to happen, it's got to happen right now because his phone's going to start ringing." Yeah, he's not under the radar anymore after that Memphis yeah. race. He might get even. He might get a better opportunity than our car, or he might get a phone call from somebody not quite as good. But he's going to take that next chance. Yeah. I needed, he, didn't, I had, he didn't have a job. Yeah, nothing. Yeah. So I'm freaking panicking. And I remember um, calling Brad. I'm standing in the middle of my driveway at my house when I called you that day. Really? Yeah. I remember the very. I remember the conversation like it was yesterday. Standing there outside the front door of my house calling you, hoping that when I told you about this that you hadn't agreed to do anything else. I hadn't at the moment. I had uh, – so this is the, 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 my favorite part of this story. From my, your perspective is great. Because uh, I didn't know that that's where you were. Yeah. When you called me, I was on an airplane. Because remember, the first time you called me, you didn't get a hold of me, so you left a voicemail. And I, I flew back from Memphis. Like, this is the first time i ever flown back from a race. Like, the team bought me an airplane ticket yeah. from Memphis to Detroit. I thought it was awesome, I've right? I've made it. I've made it, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, that race we were talking about Atlanta, I ran that race, and I drove back. And I got back, you know, 3, 4 in the morning, whatever time it was, and you're exhausted and, and all those things. And turned my phone off, sat on the nightstand. Woke up like 9 or 10 the next day, and I had a missed call from Michael Waltrip <laughs> and a voicemail. And I'm like, shoot. And so I call him back like as soon as I can, and he didn't answer. And I'm like, oh, I missed it. That was my opportunity. And um, so I, I joke with Michael all that, uh, about that all the time. You never called me back, Michael. I called yeah. you back. You never called me back. And so 
when you called me, I'm telling you that story, saying to you this story. When you called me, I was in the airplane. Phone was turned off. I land. You know, you turn your phone on, and you know, when you fly commercial, like don't turn your phone on until you get to the <laughs> gate. You know, all that. I, yeah, I, somebody would get fussy about that. But I turned my phone on, but I didn't want people to know I had it on. So I like, got it up there, and I like trying to listen to the voicemail, and I heard yours, and I remember doing like. You know, to, you're, you're trying to make sure it's really him? Yeah, yeah, and, and not trying to overwreck because I'm on the airplane and I'm not supposed to have my phone turned on. <laughs> right, you don't like, want to get... <laughs> I don't want to get, like, thrown out in an airplane jail. <laughs> and I remember how cool that was. And uh, you were in uh, New Hampshire that day. And uh, I think we talked the next the next day, Monday yeah. or something, yeah. But no, I, I remember where I was when I did talk to you. I was in my mom's basement. <laughs> the ultimate cliche. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I was literally in my mom's basement. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> That's... That's, that's so cliche. Yeah. That's funny. Uh, and so you called him, and when you when he when he offered that, did you offer him a job at that time? I think you offered me three races. Yeah, is that uh, right? Okay, it was Chicago Gateway and uh, one other track. I can't remember what the other one was. Yeah, but there was three races, and you, you uh, took him up on it right away. Yep. Oh yeah, right away. Because I th- I thought three races was perfect. If anything else came up, I could still do it. Do it right. Yep. And it was good for him because like I don't want to get all the way in. It was like yeah. perfect for everybody. Did anybody yeah. else call you even after that? Um, like, yeah, Toyota called me a couple times. They wanted me to, to run the trucks. And, uh, you know, I liked the trucks a lot, but I, I wanted to drive what's now, uh, you know, Xfinity. I wanted to drive that more, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Because, yeah. you know, I, I liked the way those cars felt and felt like that was a, a better opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. So I, that was uh, – it was awesome because Brad agreed to do it, which was a relief to me because I knew – that we weren't going to tear any more cars up. And uh, we went to the racetrack, and we ran really, really good. You know, for for where we had been running and how things had been going, it brought so much stability to our company. I just seem to remember, and I may remember this wrong. Tell me if I'm right. But, like, we had the U.S. Navy as a sponsor. Yeah. Obviously, I remember that not just how the driver drove, but how the driver, like, did it look like a military, you know, war-ready Type of person because Navy's trying to recruit. Yes, all the yeah. time. Right? Yeah, I was definitely not your picture. You boy. had braces. Yes. You know, you, yeah. you definitely like you weren't thinking, um, you know, about brand and looks and stuff nope. like that. All you did was drive a race car. Do I remember this right? Did the Navy want Brad or did you? I feel like they didn't. No, they didn't. Oh, you remember <laughs> that? Okay. Did. Yeah. I felt, but, but yeah. Dale Jr. was adamant. Yep. I felt like Dale was prepared to let a sponsor walk mm-hmm. to put you in the car. Am, am I right? Well, I mean, it wasn't really, it never really kind of came to that. I didn't have to think of that. I didn't have to contemplate that. I don't, I think you might have been alone in that because I think other people were thinking that. Yeah. You're probably right. Yeah. yeah. But I remember a few tense conversations. Yeah. Yeah. I, we had, I think, at that time when those thoughts were going through other people's heads, we had already had Brad in the car for a handful of weeks, and it was like, you know, well, I mean, our cars were, we were running, you know, finishing races. I think we were kind of finishing eighth to fifteenth every week, which is about as good as our cars should have been doing. I can't really remember exactly what the stats were. We really didn't take off till we got Tony Senior and Tony Junior here, and mm-hmm. which that was a lot of. Fun for Brad, I'm sure. To what work was that like? Was. It was, I, I thought it was awesome because Tony Sr. was like driving for my family. Really? Yeah. It was, you know, my uncle and Tony Sr. had almost identical personalities. Really? Wow. And uh, like I saw, when I saw Tony Sr., I saw my family. Yeah. And uh, so it was easy for me. Or I think it would have been hard for other people. Yeah. It, I just saw my family. And, and, you know, I had just moved to North Carolina and left my family behind in Michigan and, 
you know, you get homesick and all those things. And, and so Tony Sr. was um, – he was like a security blanket in some ways yeah. because I knew I would have good cars, but he was also somebody that I could relate to. And, you know, you don't expect that because, um, you know, Tony Sr. can be tough on people. Yeah. But I appreciated that. Like, I, I, I always knew where I stood with him. Does that make sense? Like, there was never any, like – Oh, yeah. Like, oh, well, he – He's he just saying you know. it, but he don't really mean it. No, he you know what I mean. He, you can tell if he's saying it, he means it. Yes, um, and that's exactly how my family was, and it just was easy for me to speak the same language with him. I always thought you guys were a good match, and it really showed its face, or it really came became apparent at, at Memphis in Xfinity race. Mm-hmm. You got under, you got into, you won the race. Yep, and you spun out. Carl, Carl Edwards. Edwards. Yeah, yeah. But it was – so <laughs> I did. It was an accident. It wasn't yeah, yeah, yeah. intentional. There but, was like a bunch of traffic. We were on new tires. A car yeah. in front of him lifted. He a lot lifted. of things going on in the yeah. back straightaway. But what was interesting about that is that Tony Sr. was always ready to stand up for himself. Mm-hmm. And I felt like that that was a good match for you. And it showed that day because you too like to do the same thing on the racetrack. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. You don't – you don't make you don't second guess what you're gonna do, you know. You you go out there and do whatever it takes to win the race and all that. And if you have to get a little physical, you get a little physical. And um, you don't even look back when that hap- So when that accident happened or your car gets the bad the wrong end of it, you didn't even look back. Mm-hmm. You know, you were mm-hmm. you were like face forward, eyes forward. We're gonna what's next to win the race? What's yep. the next thing I do? And we win the race. Okay, I did what I was supposed to do. Won the race. Awesome. And Tony Senior was the same way. If somebody got trampled on in the middle of that process, that's that's just racing. Yeah. That's that's what happens. <laughs> yep. And uh, you don't yeah. see that a lot these days. No, everybody you wants to like point blame or yeah. There's was, no like, hey, that was just a racing deal. Y'all got y'all went well together. Yeah. And I'll be and and why that's worth pointing out is because not a lot of things meshed with Tony Senior. <laughs> they yeah. didn't. Yeah. Not a lot of things meshed with him. Yeah. And he, I won't name names, but. He was honest about the people driving his race cars. Mm-hmm. I don't think mm-hmm. this guy can do it. I don't, you know, I don't like this about this driver. And uh, and and he would he would voice his frustrations, you know, where a lot of guys mm-hmm. a lot of guys would wouldn't. But man, he he never said a word about Brad, but he and beca- believed in Brad. He believed in Brad. That's yeah. when I knew, uh, for, you know, for us because that was just so he went not bat. normal yeah. for for pops to be an advocate for a driver. He usually was. You know, crushing them, <laughs> crushing their souls. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like even on the yeah. radio, uh-huh. on the radio during a race. And he did that with Brad some. I oh mean, yeah, yeah. You know, he'd be honest during the radio. Yeah. Yeah. There was a time where I was the dumbest son of a bitch alive. Oh yeah. Yeah. Everybody but you gets know that. what? Uh, my dad and uncle told me that <laughs> plenty of <laughs> times time. growing up. So I, when I heard it, I just heard my dad and uncle and knew that. Oh, that's just a quick like three seconds later. You won't even remember he said that. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm looking at this season. This is 2007. You started off, obviously, at Chicago. West Ward was the crew chief, finished 14th, then at Gateway, 26. IRP was your first top, top 10 in your third race force. Um, you finished 10th there. Uh, you know, with one, two, three, four races to go in the season, that's when you and Pops started working together at mm-hmm. Memphis. Mm-hmm. And you went ninth, and then Texas 6th. Uh, you oh, know, I remember that race. Yeah. That was that, that was your best finish. All of a sudden, now you're just like you're clicking off finishes yep. that are yep. like, well, th- th- you know, this pairing right here may be it. Yeah. That may be the secret sauce sure. for us. And, you know, you didn't win your first race until the next year, but when you did, man, that it seemed like pff, the, the dam was now open. Well, and that that series was a lot different back then too. Uh, you know, that race in Chicago 
So my, my first race driving for y'all. And uh, what stands out to me the most is standing on the grid. And I think to this day, it's still that way. That race had the record amount of cup drivers in it. Yeah. I want to say it had like 20. Was it 20? Really? Yes. And I remember like driver intros being on the stage and you're like, is this a cup race (laughs) or is this the Xfinity race? Like, like it's got like Mark Martins, the Tony Stewart's, you know, like, like, dang, I'm just trying to like, that's why 14th was a big deal. Yeah. You know, it was like 14th in a cup race is how I felt. But, uh, that's interesting. That was a, a big when did he? When did you move out to the property then? I remember the exact day. It was July fourth, two thousand seven. Dang. So pretty like quick. I remember it to the day. I re- was it because of the fireworks? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, the, July fourth, right? Of course. I remember too. We, we lit off fireworks on Snooter uh-huh. Trail up yep. there at Josh Snyder's house. <laughs> oh, yeah. right. Yeah. That was like my the residential North part of right? It was an introduction. Welcome for Rad Party. Yes. It, yeah. it was really interesting because I remember I came here. And of course, beautiful shop, new things everywhere. Like, <laughs> everything was new, and uh, it had that new smell still. Like the shop still had that new smell, and the, you know everything. The floor had a, the new look and all that stuff. And uh, I remember doing that and just being like, "Wow!" And then like, "What can top this?" And there was a party that night, like, and I remember like, "Woo! This is awesome! <laughs> this is what tops this!" Yes, yeah, fireworks. <laughs> Uh, well, that must have had some influence on you because pyrotechnics and you, Breck, yeah, that's right. what they go hand in yeah. hand. I mean, now I like some fireworks. Right. You've got quite like the reputation fireworks. of fireworks. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I still have all my fingers, so I'm, I'm good You're there. doing good. Right. What was that like living out there, though? It was good. So I, I remember, uh, you know, a lot of different things. I moved in next to TJ in the townhouse. And, uh, you know, it, little things stand out. Like, uh, growing up, you know, probably because we were boys, but, like, we never had, like, new dishes or silverware. I remember going to Target and buying new dishes and silverware and be like, I got new dishes and silverware in my house. Like, I thought that was so cool. Like, that was not anything that I was used to. It was like starting a new life. And a lot of ways to most people, it would be like for me uh, going to couch. Yeah. You know, like you, you left the family, you moved into your dorm, which was kind of like a dorm. It was. <laughs> and uh, it, it was a really cool time. Mm, i tell you what. Then did you ever wonder, I wonder what fireworks will do to these new dishes if we just put it on top? And, let and that turned into uh, rifles, shotguns. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we, we graduated through that. Oh, yeah. man. Mike, you it was guys. a good time. I bet. I, the other thing I remember when uh, he won that cup race at Talladega, and, you know, Dale Jr. obviously was right in the mix of that stuff, mm-hmm. running in the top four or five, and um, that's back when those tandem racing. Dale Jr., we were – we were upset because he didn't win the race. You know, as yeah. Dale Jr. people. Dale Jr. was so happy for you having won that race at that moment. They hadn't even pulled into the garage yet. And obviously, you know, in typical Brad pyrotechnic fashion, it ended up with a, you know, craziness. Yeah, but Dale yeah. Jr. was like, Brad Kozlowski just won this race. And he was going crazy as if he had won it. Um, and, and that was something also that just to me, it always spoke about the relationship and the respect that he had for you. And wow, did you make a presence then? That I mean, was, uh, that was one of those whirlwind days where like part of you wishes you could relive it. Oh yeah. And then the other part is like, no, cause I think I'd screwed up, <laughs> you know, like everything came together. Perfect. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that was, you know, a, a string of, you know, more good breaks, uh, that I was really blessed with at that time in my life and, yeah. uh, you know, set up a really good, um, opportunity for me in the future so uh, you know i want to move forward uh to 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 today um three wins this year fourth in points going into indy uh just come off of uh the race at darlington 
how do you characterize your season? You had a pretty interesting year last year. Didn't have much success early on, uh, I guess, by your standards. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you reeled off some wins there right around this time of the year. Yeah. Um, where do you feel like you are now? Uh, we're pretty good. Uh, we're not great. You know, I, I feel like, you know, if you grade a whole season, uh, you grade it off the, the, the points in the championship, yep. right? Uh, since we're like two-thirds, three-quarters of the season, uh, I always kind of look at wins, you know, because of the way that where the – points are and you know there's two or three drivers that uh have four wins we're you know at, at three I feel like we probably stole one or two that we probably shouldn't have won and we probably lost one or two we probably should have so you know I, I think going on I'm like in that a minus category um we've got a great shot at making a run for the championship we just need everything to come together uh, I feel like the last you know few years we we get in the playoffs we fire off really well everything's cruising along and then one thing happens and we can't recover from it and, uh, you know, there's two ways to fix that. Either you don't let anything happen to you or you win your way out of it. And we haven't been able to, to win our way out of it. So I'm really anxious to hopefully win our way through it. And that's yeah. what Joey did. You know, he, he won through mm-hmm. Martinsville, and then he had his issues in Texas. It didn't matter. Or I guess it was Phoenix. Uh, but uh, And then uh, you look at Homestead, uh, the opportunity to present himself, and he, he went and took it. So. Yeah. One of the things that I remember about you guys over the dec- you know last decade – or since you won your championship, at least, um, is that y'all always were really aggressive or gutsy in the playoffs mm-hmm. um, with pit strategy, and and yeah. y'all have you know sometimes will go off the sheet a little bit from what <laughs> people would typically do. Is yeah. that is is that still the mo for y'all's team when you get so. to that part of the year? I just I look for opportunity. Yeah, um, and um, the opportunity is the most important thing because they're they're out there and they're out there for everyone. It's just can you find it and can you be the first one to it. Uh, whether we were leading or, or not leading, I think that's the right way to go. Yeah, um, I've just I've always been a big believer in that. What do you feel like about the sport and the direction the sport's going? You think I feel like we talk about it all the time. Mm-hmm. I feel like we turn in a corner mm-hmm. as far as um, viewership, support, fan support, fan engagement, uh, popularity, all those things. Feels like things are headed back in a, in a good direction. What do you think? It's a really interesting time because you know I think we're seeing you know a fan base shift. Uh, which is natural. Having the benefit of having a family like you had uh, that was in the sport, I ask them these stories, you know, and, and this, you know, I ask them about, you know, my dad and uncle, you raced in the 70s. Why did you get out of NASCAR in the late 70s, early 80s? Well, what, why didn't you keep racing? I'm saying, well, you need to understand, you know, the sport was really, really booming in the early six or late 60s, early 70s, and then it just trailed off. And, like, there weren't full fields, like, in the late 70s, early 80s. And, uh, you know, the gas crisis hit everybody really hard. Um, and so they, you know, they shortened schedule and all those things. Um, and, you know, you, the factory money from the, the automotive guys pulled out. And it was really tight times. And uh, what's interesting about that is that's one example. But if you look back, uh, you know, to motorsports in general, 40s and 50s, it's, it's done this cycle right. numerous times. And, uh, you know, it's doomsday every time it's going down. And it's... Uh, when it's going up, everybody doesn't see that it's ever going to stop. You know, right. that's just really natural. So, uh, you know, I don't know where we're at in the cycle. Sometimes I think we're, um, you know, we're at the bottom of it. Sometimes I think, uh, you know, there's still more to go. Obviously, I have a vested interest in it going up. <laughs> yeah. And I, I want to see it do that. Uh, but I, I really debate about it. You know, I, I know there's been some big improvements I really like. I really like the stage racing. Uh, I feel like as a competitor uh, that you race harder. Yeah. And I feel like more of a race car driver. 
I mean, you run these 500-mile races like Darlington's a perfect example. And you would just like first two-thirds of the race, don't hit the wall, don't hit the wall, don't hit the wall. Now it's like, man, I need to go past that guy. That's two or three stage points. You know, that's – he said. This is his observation now. This is what he's been saying. These guys feel like they're racing harder now than they yes. ever have before. Yes, without a doubt. And it's different running 500 miles that way. Like, you know, when you run local short track races and you have like a 35-lap feature, okay, that's 35 laps, yeah. you run as hard as you can. But 500 miles running that hard, it's, you know, it's grueling. Yeah. And it's, it's as demanding as ever. And I like that. That's how it should be. Like, when I get out of the car, I feel like left it all out there. There was no cruising for the first two-thirds of the race. And so I really appreciate that about it. So I think that's good for the sport, I think is where I was trying to go with that. Uh, you know, I'm really interested to see where everything goes in the media landscapes. You know, I go places now, and uh, you know, I went somewhere the other day, and I see them turning the channels, and um, they had uh, Hulu. And I don't have to Hulu at home, but, uh, you know, I have direct TV, but I'm watching them turn the channels. And I'm like, you know, this is becoming a mainstay, the, the way people consume and watch things. is just different. And sometimes I think that's great for racing. Sometimes I think that's bad for racing. I, I don't know the Amazon Primes and all that and how it's changing. I, I think it's a, a time of, uh, you know, uncertainty. But I could see it boosting back. I, I, I don't know. Sure. You know, if I did know, I, I would make some pretty big investments. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, I wish I knew how successful Amazon was going to be <laughs> no kidding. 10 years ago. Yeah. I would have put a lot of money in that. No joke. Um, do you think that stage racing could still exist, still be important, still be effective without yellows? Where you were, you were given no, stage? no, I don't think so. Okay. I think the yellows are really important because it sets up the strategy, and uh, I think that's that's super critical. You need that time yeah. out for the next. Yeah, it sets up the strategy. It um, so I think part of the reason why stage racing is successful is because of yellows. Okay, because you know, like ten laps to go, yellow comes out, half the field pits, the other half doesn't. Yeah, mm. you it. would lose that, right? You would. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think now certainly there's something to be said for stage racing. Uh, without the yellows, but I think it adds no, another I'm, element. I'm convinced. Um, you, you've you've helped me land on one side of that argument. Yeah. The um, were you on the fence before? Well, I just wasn't sure. I mean, I've heard people say, you know, I, maybe without yellows, it'd be better. You still, yeah. But I, I'm, I'm, I think that um, you're correct. The one thing I don't like is the yellows are so long. They are a little long. I wish they were like one or two laps less. Sure, I agree. But that's just natural. I mean. Yeah. Um, current package, everybody's talking about rules this year, uh, from a viewer. I love it. Mm-hmm. From a driver. I know the drivers probably prefer, everybody has a different opinion on what sure. they'd love to have. Um, but you've, you started the season out with one opinion. Do you still have the same opinion? Has it changed? Are you evolving? I've kind of ran away from my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> and because it's clear the rules are what they are. And NASCAR's uh, going to do what they're going to do. Going to do. And, and so for me, that means, um, Embrace I just want to win. Yep. You know? Uh, I enjoyed winning with last year's rules, but I can't say that winning with this year's rules felt any different. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I can't say I was like, wow, the rules, that's not a special. Still hard to win. Still hard to win. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you ran away from it because you felt like you, you didn't see it correctly or because it's just not worth it? It's not worth it. No, I'm, 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 I want to win. I don't yeah. want to, you know, at the time there was the ability to influence some of the rules. That doesn't exist anymore, so it's, it's not worth the energy. I want to put all my energy into winning. Yeah, great attitude. I feel like a lot of other drivers have sort of resorted to that as well. Um, just, just give us the rules. We'll go out there and race with it. Yep, as yep. best as possible. Let's go try to win. So, um, you're a family man now. Mm-hmm. How's that? Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Total perspective. What's the best thing about being a dad? Um, how it humbles you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really. 
What's your favorite thing that you and your daughter do? She's really into fishing right now. Really? Like (laughs) hardcore into fishing. (laughs) Yeah, like back it down, girl. Like (laughs) every day, dad, let's go fishing. And, you know, we've caught one fish. (laughs) And we fish for, you know, a couple weeks now. And uh, she enjoys it. Yeah. She really does. How old is she? Uh, She's four. She's four and into fishing. I would not have predicted that. No, me either. Like I, I don't dislike fishing. But I wasn't like, come on, let's go fish. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like it, I was in, I was in the middle. But seeing your kids get enjoyment out of something is just so rewarding mm-hmm. that you don't even have to like it yourself, right? Yeah. You know, it's like a TV show that you watch them and, and you hate the TV show, but your kids like it. Oh, it's good now. Yep. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's a really it's a really cool thing to have kids. It gives you so much perspective. You know, you you learn that as you grow up, you start to think that you're a product of your environment, and to some extent, you are. Then you have kids, and you see that they're, like, born with their personality. It's not like my daughter gets up in the morning, and um, the first thing she does is make her own bed. I don't know where she got that from. Right. It, it wasn't me. Like it, <laughs> She wasn't like, oh, I see Dad make his bed. Like, right. I'm a grown-up, and I don't know if I've ever made my bed. Like, I'm going <laughs> really? to leave it open, come well, back I the mess, next day. Yeah, why well, make it if you're going to mess yes, it up that I night? I don't understand it. Right. And there's all kinds of facts that more say it's dirtier too. when you make it, like the it's germs way, and all that. So It's way more comfortable getting in an unmade bed. I agree. Right. Uh, but so, Paige, did she instill that? I mean, No, did, Paige, Paige is definitely not that This is a mystery, way. then. Yes. That is something. Well, Paige is a make-your-bed person. Don't get me wrong. But, um, you know, it's not like Scarlett watches that. But she just woke up one morning and said, you know, I'm going to make my bed every day. Wow. And just does it. Like, yeah. It's impressive. And you realize that's her personality. Like, we never walked up to her and said, you need to make your bed. No. She's, she was three years old when she started making her own bed. And so you're su- I'm, like, super proud of that. Like, my kid makes her own bed. <laughs> she's yeah. better than her dad already. <laughs> but then they start to do the things where you're like, oh, shoot. That's you know. me. Yeah, that's there, me. There, there's, there's me in there. there the, the stubbornness <laughs> yeah. and the, like, yeah, sorry, dear. You're, uh, you, you put a lot into social media. One of the things that, uh, that uh, especially over the last, I don't know, couple of years, yeah. um, what's your, what do you use social media for? Number one thing I use social media for is the news. I, re, I treat mm. social media like a newspaper. Yeah. Do you think about the things you tweet? Or do you just put it, as you, are you instinctual? Or do you contemplate? Balance. Yeah. Balance, yeah. Sometimes when I'm really committed on something, I just go. You're right. Just, just go. Just throw it out there. Yeah. You've had a couple situations this year, though, that yeah. um, you might have caught a little heat for. Or, you know, I don't even know if that's how you That's like every year. <laughs> but, but my question is, is that, has, that, has that kind of worn you down or changed your tone with social? Because that's one of the unfortunate things that people yeah. recognize is, that, do you want to let these athletes show their real sure. opinions? Or are you going to sit there and chastise them every time they have an original thought? Well, the, the issue with social media is the issue from the beginning of time. Uh, it's, it's just, it, it's demonstrated a, a, in a lot better way in social media, but it, it's, it's this theory that, that I have personally, that most people are good people. I mean, most, the majority of people, you walk down the street and you see a hundred people, you know, 97 of those people are great people. Um, but social media brings life to those other 10. And so w- with that in mind, um, like I, I've gotten to the point where I just shrug my shoulders and, and recognize that. You know, when people do things on social media, that they're, they're that 10. And uh, I recognize there's the 90 behind them. And uh, then I just, I don't care. So it doesn't affect you? I don't think it does drastically. My wife thinks it does. So Paige, my wife, we talk about it every once Do you so read on. mentions? Oh, yeah. 
You do? Oh, yeah. Wow. Good. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're a better man than I am. Well, yeah, like, uh, you know, fans will write me some cool stuff, and I want to see it sometimes, yeah. you know? Yeah. Like, I just told Amy last uh, this morning, she's like, how come you only got four hours of sleep after the race? I was like, well, I had to read Twitter once before I got to bed. Got to see how what everybody thought of the race. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Got to know what people are saying about your job that you do or sure. what they thought of the event. I uh, love it, though. I mean, I, I feel like I take more from social media than it yeah. takes for me. Why is it, though, that Twitter seems like, the meanest place on earth and instagram seems like the happiest place on earth when they're both two social media platforms Mm -hmm. why are they so vastly different Mm -hmm. as far as the experience because instagram you're putting a piece of duct tape over everybody's mouth they can't they can't spout off why can't they because it's not built for that well they can go into it's built for imagery so that's, that's an interesting observation because i guess i see it a little different you do i see it uh like facebook is where all the conservatives hang out. Mm-hmm. And like Twitter is where all the liberals hang out. <laughs> and Instagram is where all the people who don't want to deal with those on Facebook and Twitter hang wow. out. Like, you might be right on that. Like the key to winning the election, if I was running for president, is to win Instagram. Those yeah. are like the undecided voters. Okay. <laughs> that's wow. how I guess I view it. That's I interesting. think that's a great spot to end on. <laughs> yeah. I um, got nothing. Yeah. That's awesome. I don't know. That's my opinion. Like, you, you go know, on Facebook, it's super conservative. Yeah. I mean, at least it is to me. Yeah. And, and then you go on Twitter, it's super liberal. I, I just, I see a political spectrum there. Sure. That's what I love about Brad. And he always, he's always been able to give you that additional layer of thought. Honest. Uh, and, and, and honesty. And, yeah. I, and, I, and the reason I ask those other questions is that I hope that never changes with you. And I, and I worry that, like, in some cases, and you're one of them, that social media will make you convinced, like, oh, this is not worth it anymore. And yeah. that would be a bad day for our sport when yeah. you – and, and what you bring to the table from a, uh, an intellectual standpoint, a thought standpoint, just yeah. a conversation standpoint, mm-hmm. you like to have conversations. Yep. If that, day, if that day changes where you're like, it's not worth having the conversation anymore, sure. that would be sad for us. That and, would be. Yeah, no, it would be sad for me too. But, you know, you, you, those conversations are tough because there's always that one person that chimes in that just wants to, yeah. I hate you, I hate everything. Hey, I just – Brush it off. There you go. Right. Well, I want to get you back on the show, man. We got a lot more to talk about your career and 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 what your what what you. Th- I'd love to ask you and talk to you about what you think your future is down the road beyond racing. But we'll do that another day, brother. Thanks for coming and giving us your time. You're I know you're a busy you man. We appreciate you, bud. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for having yes, me sir. back. It's been a long time. It's been too long since I've been here. <laughs> All right, dude. This ain't your average recap. Unfiltered commentary and an abundance of opinion. Mr. Nice Guy or Mr. Get the out of my way. Like Johnny Cash, we ain't afraid to walk the line. I'll walk the line. Listen to Door Bumper Clear. Available on all major podcast platforms. It burns, burns, burns. Ring of fire. Door Bumper Clear. I never stop till I win. I never make it to ten. If I'm down, I'm back up again. Come on. All right, it's time for the Valvoline DIY question of the week. Dale Jr., we get this still a lot. People asking about the infamous boxing ring that yeah. you had, and they want to know if you still have it or what the origins of it are. Of ours. So let, let's, let's talk about it real quick, the boxing ring. Well, we don't have it anymore, I don't believe. I believe we donated the boxing ring to a local high school or gym or something. Um, the boxing ring, yeah. So I was a big fan of boxing. Yep. And – was looking for various creative ways to do physical activities that were more interesting than just running on a treadmill. And I, uh, I, I had a buddy of mine, Josh Schneider, that agreed to box with me and promised not to kill me. 
he's a big boy too. Yeah, he's a big guy. And um, so we we actually started just boxing in you know in in my basement or in the garage without a ring, right? And I'm thinking, man, I need we need a ring. We need to get a ring. So we got a ring. I was living across the street from DEI at the time. So we put this big ring up there, and we got the bell. We got an automatic bell, and, and we got the headgear, the mouthpieces, and all that. And we boxed. We would just box. And mm. we, we really didn't uh, – we had certain rules uh, that we abided by. The to It was more of a sparring, and we would go 10 rounds. I mean, we would, we would, we would do the whole Damn. match. God. to uh to try to get a workout in you know and try to sweat and stay active uh it was more about moving than trying to beat each other up of course it gets competitive and stuff at times and then the boxing ring became less about working out and more about man it's two in the morning we're all drunk who wants to beat the shit out of somebody <laughs> you know and what two people in this group of five or 10 or 12 or 15 that are hanging out would like to get in a ring together and you would sit there and badger a couple guys and go oh come on man and by, before you know it you're all at the boxing ring everybody's there drinking beer and two guys are in there going to town beating each other up now you absolutely know, no former technique at all it was it was ridiculous and you know it lasts 10 minutes or not even that for somebody got their feelings hurt or something and and we just laugh and go back to the bar um <laughs> that's funny the best experience with the boxing ring was this 30th birthday party i invited arturo Gotti, a boxing champion a boxing champion i think at 147 157 something like that one of the greatest that ever lived. Well, he was a blood and guts <laughs> fighter. Um, won a couple titles, and and uh, I was a big, big fan of his. He came to a couple races and so forth. Anyways, he's at the 30th birthday party. He's there. Ross Coleman, pro bull riding champion, is there. Brad, uh, lead singer of Three Doors Down. Brad Arnold. Brad Arnold. He is there. And uh, obviously a lot of friends. And I thought, I knew that Arturo was coming, and I said, you know what? The party was at this bar called the Double Door in Charlotte, and it moved over to my basement by the end of the night. And I thought all week is is leading up to this party. I was like, man, I gotta get Arturo down to the boxing ring at some point and get him in there and try to see if he can show me a few things, give me an advantage on Josh next time we get in there. And so we, it, you know, we never got the opportunity to get in there before we all got liquored up pretty good. And so it's two in the morning and everybody's drunk. And I said, man, I really would love to go sh- down to the boxing ring and show me a few things. He's like, sure, let's go. So me and Arturo go down there and everybody kind of follows us down. Arturo and I get in there and he just shows me how to throw a combination. And believe it or not, he he helped me understand how to throw a three punch combination probably about three times faster than I was throwing it very quickly and very easily, which was really impressive. I'll never forget it. And so Ross Coleman's standing there, and he's like, "I'd like to get in there." And uh, he's like, I'll, "I'll fight that. I'll fight that boxer." Because bull riders are crazy. They're crazy, especially drunk. <laughs> All right, they're bull crazy riders, drunk. Yeah, bull riders are crazy. And he, when we go out to the bar, Ross. Ross wants to find the biggest bouncer and fight him. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just what he wants to do. And the bouncer doesn't even know this. Uh, so we're at the boxing ring anyways, and he goes, man, I want to fight that boxer. And I'm like, really? He's like, yeah. So Arturo goes, all right, no problem, of course. I'm going to show Yeah, this will be easy. 
Now, Arturo's 150 pounds, and Ross is 210. Easy. And so we're putting the headgear on Ross, and Arturo's got a buddy of his there, and so they're, they're doing what they're doing in their corner, getting ready. And I'm putting this headgear on Ross, and he goes, he knows we're just kidding, right? We're just playing. I'm like, I don't know whether he knows that or not. <laughs> no, I'm not know. sure if he knows it or not. I'm not sure what Arturo's going to do when I ring this bell. And he goes, okay. And so I ring the bell, and I'm a, I've am been to a couple of Arturo's fights already by this point. And they went at it as hard as they could go. I'm talking knocking their heads back, twisting their neck, twisting their heads on their shoulders with right with hooks left and right, uppercuts. They went hard mm. for a minute, and uh, which is a long time to be in there with a championship boxer going mm-hmm. as hard as you can go. And I couldn't believe it. I finally the the bell rings and uh, Ross comes back in the corner. And he goes, "Holy crap!" He's like, "That was crazy." And I was like, "Dude, you really kind of hung in there. Mm. Like you you hit him." Really good a couple times. <laughs> and now Arturo's standing in his corner with his arms up on the ropes, ready to go. If he won't, you know, not, he ain't taking his headgear off. And Ross is like, I'll go another round. So they went two more rounds. Wow. That's, Hard. Yeah. And finally Ross tapped out. He's like, that's enough for me, man. Just because he got exhausted or because he was taking a beating? Well, both. They're getting, they both, are, you know, it's two in the morning, been drinking yeah. beer and liquor all night. They're not exactly sharp. Yeah. So, Brad Arnold wants to get in there. Oh Lord! And he gets in there with Ross. Jeez. So the you know Arturo's done. He's like, man, that was fun, cool. Brad gets in there with Ross. Ross laid Brad out as expected. Brad Arnold is bleeding. He's like, he's smiling and he's got blood between his teeth. I'm like, dude, you're lead singer for Fleetwood Down. You're lay- you're bleeding in my freaking boxing ring gym and i'm like i don't know whether this is cool or this is bad or what you know (laughs) and he's like i'm fine i don't care and then you know all my friends want to get in there before you know it everybody's in the ring at some point royal rumble (laughs) well one of the you know it just turns into everybody wanting to fight yeah um you got your eye black yeah i got in there with ross and a buddy of mine uh scott young who was one of our late model racers at the time and so we went after it and I got hit a few times, but I was it wasn't like, ow, you know, that that was a real good shot. I didn't even I don't even know what shot did it. But I'm standing there and I'm like, man, it, I'm seeing a shadow <laughs> on one side of the room. And I'm like, that is weird. What is that? And I keep rubbing my face like something's on it. And I finally rubbed it one time and I'm talking, I had a knot on the brow over my right where my eyebrow is on one side. Giant. It had swolled up. And uh, I went into the bathroom and looked, and I was like, that's the shadow. It's like I, I got a lean-to on my, on my <laughs> <lean> face. To. <laughs> yeah. It's an and awning. So, yeah, got, like, I got an awning, awning popped out on my, <laughs> on my forehead on one side. And I felt like Rocky Balboa. <laughs> I'm like, look at me, man. I'm really in there getting my You head. wanted to yes. take that black eye everywhere, didn't Hell you? Hell yes. <laughs> and so, yeah, by the next day, uh, you know, it's a black eye. All the blood's draining down into my eye socket and, it, and, and turned into a black eye. And I think I went to the racetrack. I think there's a picture of me wearing there a is. helmet with a visor up. There sure is. A black you, eye. You went to Kansas that next weekend, and there's a black eye. That in was that, why that I had it. Yeah. Come from that boxing ring. It's a lot good. of fun. That is good. All right. The boxing ring will uh, live on in history. Uh, anyways, thank you, Valvoline, for that. From high mileage rides that need that thick anti-wear film, the newer engines that have carbon buildup, head over to valvoline.com 
slash Dale to find the product spec for your engine. Now watch me get back up. Hey everybody, it's Dale Jr. for the Dale Jr. Download. This is the Ask Jr. segment of the show brought to you by Nationwide. That's the first time we had a little intro music for it. Um, fancy. Yeah, getting pretty fancy here in the uh, studio. So, uh, Leo, got some good questions out there coming in? We do. Um, let's start with one from this past weekend. Um, Andrew Higginbotham, who I actually met this past weekend. Yeah. Um, big fan. He did earn a sticker. Um, he wants to know, what was the most memorable moment from the race weekend? Just uh, getting out of the car and uh, hearing the fan reaction, uh, waving to the crowd, and their reaction was just uh, unforgettable. I'll never forget that moment. It, that moment, there were amazing moments all weekend long, but that one stands out there by itself by margin. Uh, Sam Bladen writes in, and he wants to know, can you provide some context as to why NASCAR issues impact guns to the pit teams and why they can't use the impact of their choosing? And are there any other tools that pit teams use where they can't use their own during the race? I'm not sure if there's other tools, but the reason why that they decided to uh, de- de- you know, provide the guns for the teams is because the teams were developing their own guns and spending hundreds and thousands of dollars doing it. NASCAR uh, stepped in to... Uh, try to stop that development and the spending and cost of that development. Teams had uh, had built some impressive guns. They were way better than what the rest of the competition had. And, uh, you know, there's, there's sometimes when NASCAR feels like, well, we want to step in in this area and cut the cost, stop the cost, stop the development. They're, they just pick, you know, pick places in the sport where they don't want that development going on or don't want that sort of uh, – you know, it's it's unguided and and can turn hundreds of thousands of dollars turns into millions of dollars, and uh, before you know it, uh, you know these teams are spending way more money than they have, um, and it's tough for the little guy. Obviously, they can't. Uh, you know, not everybody can afford to do any type of gun development. So, I imagine uh, you know, and it was met with a lot of resistance when they did make that change to try to uh, provide guns. There was a lot of problems with the guns breaking and, the, you know, the, uh, the teams were using different types of air and so forth in the guns and, and trying to trick the guns to make them do better and, and, and perform faster, and the guns were, were uh, failing. You know, we don't hear much about that anymore. Uh, there's a lot of consistency, and I think uh, uh, the teams have found a great box to live in. And it's, I like it because it's put the responsibility and the performance back on the changer. Uh, and we can celebrate the changer and the, the, the human being holding the gun that's doing the job and how quick and, and how good he can do it. So uh, I think that's really, you know, we used to talk about, um, we used to have all-star uh, pit crews and back in the 90s. Um, we can now really celebrate and, and see and point out these uh, unique individuals that have such a great gift when everybody has the same equipment. Jason Ewing on YouTube wants to know what happens to your Darlington throwback car now? The Darlington throwback car is at NASCAR and they took it over there to take a look at all the uh, parts and pieces on it to make sure everything's up and up and uh, the team guys Taylor and the crew chief and the rest of the guys are over there to uh, retrieve that car and bring it back here and I don't know what we'll do with it. I uh, I want a panel off of the car. I think I want a door. Maybe the right door or something like that for my own uh, key, you know collection. But otherwise, I'm sure that car goes into rotation and will be raced somewhere by somebody. Matthew Cobb wants to know, of the remaining bubble drivers, which one has the best opportunity to go to IMS and clinch a playoff spot? I don't really know. You know, I think that uh, I think everybody's waiting on Jimmy Johnson to, 
to win a race and 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 make his way into this playoff and and he's a seven-time champion and no task or no no objective is too hard or or too impossible for for him so you never count him out I guess is what I'm trying to say but all those guys are gonna you know gonna have to be uh some will may maybe think that they need to be conservative and uh play it safe i think ryan newman is a workmanlike sort of driver and he's going to steadily go in there and crank out a top 10 you know and hope that's good enough whereas uh some of these other guys may be more aggressive jimmy johnson being one of them they're going to go in there and say man we're going to try to put ourselves in position to win and not you know we're not we're not expecting a top five or a top 10 to save us we got to win the race so but they may be quite a bit more aggressive trying to attain the track position that they need late in the race to be able to do that to control the race on the final few restarts it's going to be pretty crazy especially with these rules this year the racing has been pretty dramatic pretty fun so i'm excited to be able to call that race obviously we're going to do it radio style i'll be over in turn three uh, on sunday calling the action from over there and hope uh, hope to be uh, hope to have a lot of things happening so it'll be an easy job Christy D wants to know, how often do you play PUBG, and is it easier to control on iPad versus phone? Yeah, I saw that tweet. <laughs> um, I wanted to answer it right then. <laughs> uh, I like the iPad. Obviously, it's you know I got my I got this Pro, and I play PUBG with uh, a friend of mine, Tim Duggar. We play with um, let's see, Noah. Play with Noah, and Noah's got some friends on the West Coast we play with. So Algar, he plays as well. Trying to convince my other friends to play PUBG Mobile on this iPad uh, or on their phones. TJ plays every once in a while. So uh, we, I like to play a lot. Amy does not like that. So <laughs> I get what I can. All right, guys. That is it for today's awesome. Ask Junior. All right, man. Thanks for tuning in to Ask Junior, presented by Nationwide. White flag right there. White flag. All right. Time for white flag. Listen, guys, on our YouTube channel. That would be the Dirty Mo Media's YouTube channel. We will be featuring an original documentary that will blow your socks off, which is also a reminder to buy your socks at Socket2CC.com to help the Dale and Amy Earnhardt uh, Fund fight childhood cancer. But anyway, the great and powerful Dirty Mo Media crew did an outstanding job this past weekend documenting Dale Jr. We talked about how uh, how much fun it was for Dale. I really think that this uh, documentary is going to show why it was fun and, and, and really kind of get into the uh, to the granulars of, of uh, the enjoyment for Dale. And Matthew, you were, you know, you and James did an outstanding job just being present all over the weekend. So listen, that's going to come out soon. Uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel because that's where you're going to find it. Uh, don't even wait. You can go subscribe to it now uh, while you're listening to the rest of this podcast. Let's hit some Apple podcast rating and reviews real quick. Yeah. JRed88 wrote, Dale, I thought it was awesome on Saturday when you were talking to the boys in the booth while under caution at Darlington. It was like you were announcing from the car and actually using the car to explain what you were feeling while driving. As a true fan, I got a lot out of that, which I really appreciate that because it's not, you know, I like it when the viewers are not just trying to be entertained, but they're also trying to to learn and become educated on what exactly is going on out there. So uh, I thought that was nice. NASCAR is the best 88 road. I am 13 years old. And I remember my dad rooting for Dale Jr. Now, every Sunday, I turn on the TV and I watch the race. Me and my family went to the Bristol Night Race, and I was on my feet screaming for Matt Benedetto to hold off Denny Hamlin. You and me both, look. I never got to see some of the people race that you have on your podcast, and it is fun hearing how their racing careers unfolded. 
Thank you for making my Mondays enjoyable. So very nice comments there. We had a lot more, a lot of comments on Saturday as you were racing. So a lot of people listen. I ain't going to read them all. They all really appreciated seeing you out on that racetrack, Dale. Um, our TV show this week, because of the late, uh, you know, the, the fact that we had Labor Day and we're taping a day later, the TV show is going to be a re-air of the Dale Jarrett episode. Uh, that's Tuesday night. But this Brad Kozlowski episode is going to air Sunday, September 8th at 11.30 a.m. Eastern Time on NBC Sports Network. Uh, that is going to be part of the Brickyard pre-race coverage for NBC Sports. So that's going to be nice. Again, that's Sunday, September 8th at 11.30 a.m. Eastern Time on NBC Sports Network. And other than that, I just want to say, I want to close this white flag by saying it was great talking to fans over the weekend. Oh, Matthew man. and Leah, you guys will, will uh, jump in on this as well. We had so many comments about podcast listeners. I, You couldn't walk from here to there without somebody talking about this show. And that, that made me feel really well, really really good. I know you guys got Going a lot away. of it. Leah, yeah. you were handing out I, I walked around the infield, and obviously I haven't spent a whole lot of time at um, NASCAR races, and I could not believe how nice everyone was, first of all. And, you know, people were inviting me in. You need a drink. You need food. And people are so nice, and they all wanted a Dirty Mo sticker. Um, so I had a lot of fun. And I love the fact that most of the people I talked to wasn't just like, hey, I'm a big fan of the show. So many of them said, and this is something that Dale doesn't get to hear maybe as much because he's busy working now at the tracks there. But so many people said, thank you guys for doing this show. That's right. Yeah. I, that's my uh, my experience as well. So to everyone who we saw at Darlington, thank you so much for making our weekend even better than it already was. All right, Dale, let's hear some odd history. Odd history? I do not know this story. We're going to learn it together, what? Mike. All right, let's hear it. You know, usually I am the history guy. Usually. Not today. Not today. You're not learning today. with the rest of us. So um, the AAA contest board. Triple A, gotcha. All right. Yeah. It was an arm of the American Automobile Association formed in 1902. All right. Triple A sanctioned early motorsports events and pretty much helped form what we know now as the IndyCar Racing Series in America. Okay. All right. They also were the first to use a formal point system in the sport of motorsports, right? In the racing yeah. industry. They sanctioned great events from the Vanderbilt Cup. Never, Never heard, heard of it. it. <laughs> Never heard of the Vanderbilt Cup, one Never of the earliest it. motorsports <clears throat> contest in America. Never heard of it. To the Indianapolis 500. Have heard of that one. Heard of that one. <laughs> well, then comes along NASCAR. NASCAR was formed in February 21st, 1948, obviously. The culture of the two forms of motorsports was clearly different. And in the early days, there was a lot of animosity between the two parties. That's interesting. All right. Let's go back to May, uh, let's go back to May 13th, 1954. It's a great example of the two parties having some animosity. That's the day that Mr. Bill France stepped foot into the hallowed grounds of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Bill France Sr. was there to watch practice for the Indy 500. When it was discovered that he was in the garage, security came and escorted Mr. France off the speedway. Mm. The guard <laughs> was quoted in a newspaper article as saying he had, quote, orders from the front office, unquote, to remove Mr. France. The article goes on to say that Big Bill grinned and said that he borrowed a Speedway badge from a friend to go to the garages and shake hands with old friends among the 500 drivers, car owners, and mechanics. France at the time was promoting an upcoming project, a mammoth stock car racing facility near Daytona Beach mm. that would hold a 500-mile stock car oh. race that many felt would rival the Indianapolis 500. Hence the Daytona 500. Yeah. NASCAR and the IndyCar sanctioning body, AAA, 
They were rivals to the point that they banned drivers from running in each other's series. I remember reading uh, about, like, you know, if, if a driver left NASCAR and went and ran a AAA sanctioned race, they stripped him of all his points for that season. Wow. It's crazy. Yeah. Wow. Like, top drivers, championship drivers, winning Ooh. drivers were being stripped of all their points, like, midway through the year. Championships were won and lost because of these rivalries between the two sanctioning bodies. The chief steward of AAA was quoted as saying, quote, We have a long-standing disagreement with NASCAR on what constitutes good racing. Damn. Unquote. Boy, that's a Shot, Shots fired. <laughs> Forty years after France was thrown out of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, NASCAR would run their first race there, the Brickyard 400. Hey, listen. If, if those... Uh, Security guards at Indy were anything like the yellow coats today. It makes a little bit of sense. Am I wrong? The yellow coats? The, is that what they're called? The yellow shirts? Yellow it's shirts. Like you're thinking the, like they're British. No, no, <laughs> those would be uh, red yeah, coats. Red coats. But uh, the yellow shirts, right. They're, they're hard people. They're oh, hard people. <laughs> red coats are Budweiser's. Is it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> of course. Right. Blue coats are Bud Lights. Bud Lights, that's right. <laughs> well, well, it's good to see that the two sports got, uh, got you know, Came to terms. Well, like tri- AAA went bye bye, and that's uh, that's what helped. Is that right? Yes. Because AAA, AAA went bye bye. AAA saves my ass from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> not the same AAA. It no. isn't. No, it is not the same. No. Triple oh. AAA uh, went bye bye. I think it was after uh, Le Mans and Vukovic's accident, okay. uh, and then that big accident, Le Mans. Ah, gotcha. All right, good stuff. Man, what a great show, guys. Sure was. Sure was. A lot right. of fun. Thanks, Brad, for coming on. But keep on listening, guys, because the show ain't quite over just an ad that we want you to hear it's an ex- <laughs> <laughs> it's uh pristine well, yeah. of course yeah let's have some fun talking about pristine auction pristine is an online sports memorabilia website where you can bid and win some amazing authentic items the auction styles are plentiful many lots <laughs> i don't even care. you love the word lots I do. <laughs> you do. You said it last week. You loved it just so much. So that's yeah. how you worked but it in. I don't think that that's how. I don't think that's yeah. what he said. Yeah. <laughs> we said we we're gonna have fun. Oh my gosh. The auction styles, they are a plenty. <laughs> <laughs> he There's, will have a plenty in next week's read. Yeah, they're, <laughs> they're ones that last for days. You know, if you love to wait around for days to win an item, there's some that are daily, meaning that they last one day. Yeah, that's fine. And. Then there's the qualifying style. 10-minute auction. This week, there's a diecast from the 2018 Darlington Throwback Race. It's the winner's diecast, Brad Keselowski. He was just on the show. It's a signed diecast. has a little confetti on it. Uh, the black and gold Rusty Wallace scheme that he ran there, 2018. Go to pristineauction.com now. Right now. It's free to register, free to bid, and of course, you only pay for the items you win. With Pristine... One big thing is guaranteed. Authenticity. I'm so good at saying that now. (laughs) Thanks to this ad read that I read every week. I've even signed for Pristine, so I know that all the autographs on there are legit. No phonies, no fakes, like at the other sites. That's Pristine Auction, spelled P-R-I-S-T-I-N-E, auction.com. So, Junior Nation, when you register, please select Dale Junior Download Podcast from the drop-down menu in the How Did You Hear About Us section on their website. That's important. All right. That's right. We'll see you next week on the Dale Jr. Download. Hoo-hoo, that enthusiasm. Whoa. <laughs> you said get after it right there. Hey, Upbeat. You got up on off. the wheel. <laughs> Elbows up. Check out Dirty Mo Media on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. 
Dirty mode. 